this week, Justinian! Uh, welcome to Roman Emperor's Totalis Rankium. I am Jamie. And I'm Rob, ranking all of the emperors from Augustus to Constantine XI. We're at a big one today. Wait. Oh, yes. It is Justinian. Justinian. Episode 91. Oh, that's not bad. Okay. Yeah, not bad. Well, everyone goes on about him. Say, oh, Justinian, you're so great. Best emperor in the world. There's so many amazing things. I wish I was like Justinian. Yeah, yeah. He's going to have to do something amazing for me to... I, I think he's been overblown. He's going to have to bring Augustus back from the dead for me to be that impressed. Yeah, there, I have sensed a lot of hostility from you about Justinian, more so it's, than any other one we've done. I don't know, it's just because everyone just says he's so amazing. He he must... And I feel like I'm going to be let down. I'm defending myself against let down, that's what I'm doing. Fair enough. Okay, what should we do this then? Let's... Let's find out. Let's do him. Yes. Okay. Before we start, however, ju- just warn you, in case you don't look at the times of these episodes before starting, th- this is going to be our longest ever episode Ooh. for the Emperors. Probably won't get as long as some of our Republic episodes, but uh, it is 2,000 words longer than our Constantine episode wow, was. Okay. Uh, yeah, and that ran to one hour and 40 minutes, so I'm guessing a t- <clears throat> maybe a two-hour episode this one. Okay. It's all right. Yeah, so just just warning you there. Just, just read faster. I'll read faster, yeah. Um, okay, and you want, like, big, big events? I need... Well, it's, so either it's going to be one big thing he does, or yeah. lots of amazing little things, or a big thing and lots of little things. So I'm guessing you're not expecting a moon landing. I would be surprised. Because, well, strap yourself in. Here we go. Bloody hell. That's <laughs> we are going to start in Egypt. Okay. You're picturing this. Yep, yep, sandy pyramids. Good. We're in a city called Pelusium. Okay. And in Pelusium, you need to be picturing this really clearly, okay? You got <laughs> All it? All right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's a ship in the docks. Okay. And there's a sailor on there. Yeah. Yeah. With an egg. A few sailors. And uh, Ooh, uh, one of the sailors, let's, let's call him Steve, he's not feeling too well. Oh. No. Bit under the weather. A few mild hallucinations. <laughs> he's gone blind in one eye. Yeah, he's not great. A bit of a fever. And uh, and then to his horror, his groin starts to swell. But not in a good way. Oh, yeah. okay. No, this, this is a bad swelling. Ooh. Uh, Ooh. Yeah, his friends watch helplessly as uh, growths start in his armpits as well. <gasps> is this they buboes? Oh, yes, they are. He's coughing up blood. Oh no. He's dead by nightfall. Well, that's, that's a shame. Yeah. It's Still, his birthday as well. So. Yeah, well, life's dangerous. I mean, yeah. And it's Steve. No one liked him that much anyway. He always that's moaned. True. Um, so everyone just carries on. Yeah. Um, but before long, everyone who was with him that day starts feeling a bit dodgy as well. Oh. Oh, yes. Now, cut to Alexandria, the Got capital it. of Egypt. Bigger yeah. buildings. Right, bigger buildings. Yeah. Um, you're, you're in a lab. An ancient Egyptian lab, maybe in like the Library of Alexandria, which I'm just picturing really something from Hitman now, just like stark <laughs> white. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like that. I mean, it's it's all sandy on the outside, but it's looking pretty good on the inside. Nice. A young doctor, give him a name. Um, Tony. Tony, Doctor Tony. He's he's a young doctor with an interesting and sympathetic backstory. Aww. He's hard at work in his lab. His wife left him. 
Yeah. Well, you must have done something wrong. Well, he's only got access to the kids at weekends, but he's a nice guy. Okay. okay. And he's got stubble, so you know he's a bit of a rebel in okay. the whole <laughs> whole doctor world. Yeah. 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 Does he yeah. Have, how, does he have a cane? Oh, he could have a cane, couldn't he? As well, like yeah. basically his house. Yeah, yeah. So he looks like house. He's called Doctor Tony. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. News of Palacium. Uh, is all over the place. There's lots of people dying over there, but that's a whole city away, and people die all the time. Yeah. It's fine. It's life. And then someone gets sick in Alexandria. Oh. Oh, yes. And then another, and then another, and then the whole city is falling apart. Oh, dear. Yeah, Dr. Tony's father calls him and uh, (laughs) tells him, get out the city. Tony! Get out the city. Well, on the equivalent of a phone back then, maybe messenger. A coconut with a bit of strength. Yeah. Really long across the city. Yes. Really one, long one. Tells him to get out of the city, but Dr. Tony, too busy dealing with the sick, he's dedicated. Yeah. Does one of his children get ill? Oh, we'll get there, we'll get there. Oh! And then he sees someone in the makeshift hospital yeah. that's been set up that he's working in, because he's a, he's a dedicated guy. It's his old neighbour when he used to live with his ex-wife. Oh. That can only mean one thing. His yeah. old neighbourhood has been hit. Oh. Oh, yes. But he used to live there. He used to live there, and his ex-wife and his children still do. Oh, no. Yeah, because he, he had to leave. So, our doctor spends an action sequence trying to get to his children. He steals a chariot. Donkey. He knocks over a crate of chickens. Camel. Camel, yes, he's on a camel. Mad camel. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Smashing into, you know, buildings and yeah, stuff. Yeah, chickens, melons. Melons are smashing all oh, over no. the place. He gets into a humorous argument with someone of a different race to him, which seems quite funny now, but in a few years, looking back on it, it's going to seem a tad outdated and a little bit racist, unfortunately. Stereotype, you could have. Yeah, yeah. And eventually he gets back to his old home. He bursts inside. He sees his ex there, just his ex. His children aren't there, and she's dying. And with her dying breath, she towels him off for being in love with his work. (laughs) Damn it, Tony, you always loved the work more than me. You had no time for me. (laughs) But she also lets him know that the children are safe. She has sent them on a secret ship from the harbour, the only one leaving Alexandria. Oh, dear. Due to get to Constantinople. And then she dies. Tony, tears in his eyes, looks around the room... And then, all of a sudden, his eyes fall on a medical magazine that his wife subscribes to. That's handy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, (laughs) across the front is an article about eye infections. And then he zooms in on the word infection. And then it dawns on him, the disease is infectious. Oh, my goodness. No one had realised this before. So this is like a huge shock. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And that means one thing, if the boat sails then the rest of the world will catch whatever the hell this is. Yeah. So he races out the house, down to the docks, jumping over all the corpses and stuff. (laughs) And uh, he rushes to the quay, and his heart sinks as he sees one lonely ship reaching the horizon. Yes, his children are safe, but for how long? He falls to his knees. The world is doomed. Does he spread out his arms, stare at the sky and go, No! Darth Vader style. Fade to black. Then just the word Justinian smashes against the screen. Dun, 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 dun. And then 60 years previously. Ooh. Yeah. Okay, so there you go. That's the introduction to this episode. Nice. I thought Justinian deserved a bit more of an exciting... Yeah. Um, Most of that is not historically accurate. (laughs) No. Get out. (laughs) But we'll discuss that later. (laughs) Right, okay. Get to Justinian now, shall we? So 60 years previously... He was born. 
Now, we covered a lot of this last week, so we're, we're not going to go over this again in detail. So in around 482, in a farming village in Thrace, a boy called Petrus Sebatius was born. Ooh. His mother was the sister of a royal guard in the capital. One of the excubators, nonetheless. Oh, important one. Oh, yeah. But apart from that, nothing really remarkable about this family. We know next to nothing of his childhood. Presumably, he would have happed out on the farm. Although, money may have come from this uncle, who was calling himself Justin nowadays. Justin? Big shot Justin in the big city. Was he the last emperor? He was the last emperor, yes. Nice. So. I remember him because he was, he was Emperor Justin. Really old, wasn't he? Um, He became old, yeah. As most people do. Yeah. Well, some people do, not everybody. Most people die young. In this day and age, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Petrus, he's still alive. Yeah. Petrus grows up, and it was decided that he should get an education. His uncle was doing well. Now he'd risen in the ranks of the excubitors, uh, so some strings were pulled, and Petrus moves to the capital. It would appear that he served the excubitors for a while, but his heart lay in something else. Learning. What? Yeah. How old is he at this point, roughly? Oh, it, we, this is all guesswork and conjecture. All right. so, um, 14. Oh, uh, yeah. 12. Between, let's say between 14 and 25. Okay. Yeah, let's say that. Narrow it down. Yeah. Um, teenager, young adult. He studies law, history, theology, and he shapes his ideals and his philosophies at this time. Now, judging on performance in later life, we can assume he did very well in his studies. Oh, he's quite bright. Oh, yes. And at some point, he's adopted formally by his uncle and changes his name to Justinian. He'll be forgotten. No one will care about him. Young Justinian, as well as studying, loved the games and soon became a huge blue supporter. Blues! Yes, now it was through this that he meets the daughter of a woman who worked for the blues, an actress slash prostitute slash concubine <laughs> called Theodora, as we saw last week. And yes. her interesting background... Yeah, she'd just come back from being abandoned in, in Africa mm. by Egypt. That's a bit rubbish. Yeah. Uh, well, the two of them meet and they hit off. They are perfect for each other. Both young, ambitious, bright, and are not going to let anyone stop them <laughs> achieving their goals. It's all there if you want it. Just grab it. Yeah, that's yeah. what they said to each other. I'll do something in the evening. <laughs> and soon, Theodora was his full-time concubine. Hooray! Yeah. Now, nothing much would have been said about this. This is not that unusual. His uncle by this point would have been the head of the excubitors, and Justinian was well-connected, highly educated, in his mid-thirties. Clearly going to make something of himself, and he just got himself a concubine. That's all fairly standard stuff, if you're in that social class. Yeah, I was going to say, I'll be pretty satisfied with all that. Yeah. And then the Emperor Anastasius dies. Yes, he did. And the world changed forever. For Justinian. And for Anastasius, I suppose. <laughs> The world is no more. Now, as we saw last episode, his uncle makes a play for the throne, betraying the chief eunuch, who was one of the others vying for power. During the political intrigue, the scene in the Hippodrome became close to riots. Apparently, Justinian was able to calm the mood down somehow. We're not entirely sure how, but... Uh, Sang the song. Well, he was well-loved by the people, apparently, at this point. The young nephew of the chief excubitor. Maybe he told them a story. Oh, maybe he did. Like a nursery nursery tale. A bit like Mark Antony's grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to our Roman Republic episode if you oh, want yeah. to know more information. Yeah. Later on, it was said that people wanted Justinian to become emperor at this time, when Anastasius died, bypassing his uncle, 
but that's probably made up after the fact. But yeah, I was going to say, that's unbelievable. Yeah, Justinian was clearly influential at this point, but not one of the main players. His uncle's attempt to claim power, however, wins out, and Justinian soon finds himself the most important advisor to the new emperor. Or at least, that's what he must have thought to begin with. Because <laughs> his uncle soon brought to the capital Vitalian the general who had risen up against Anastasius, remember? He yes. was defeated by the prototype Greek fire. Yeah. Yeah. The big fireball of death. Yes, yeah. that's it. So Vitalian was invited back into the city, and he was doing the job of number two. There was even speculation he was being groomed as the, as the successor, although we have no idea how true that is. But Justinian probably was feeling a bit nervous about him being there. Still, Justinian gets involved in the running of the empire in other ways. He even wrote to the Pope, as we saw last week. He'd done a lot of theology studying and mm. agreed with his uncle's aims of reunifying the East and Western Church. Oh, the um, oh, the Arians and the other ones. Not Arians. <laughs> well, there are Arians about, and we'll see them later, but this is more the Monophysites and oh, the yeah. Orthodox. Yeah, I'm with you. And some Nestorians, but they're mostly gone. Oh, it's fun. Yeah, uh, we're, we're going to that in a bit. But at this time, he does meet up with some monks from Scythia, who I mentioned last week, who came up with a new way to reconcile the Monophysites with the Orthodox Church. Uh, Justinian was starting to get some ideas. Okay. The other supporter of these monks was none other than Vitalian. You remember, he was very pro-Orthodox. Yeah, so yeah. if he's talking to the monks, then they clearly had a good idea. Yeah. Uh, but then Vitalian had a, a sudden attack of being dead, <laughs> uh, tragically. Happens the best of us. Yeah. No one knows how he died, why he died. Toothpick. Yeah. In the brain. Hammered in with a mallet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some people said it was the mallet that killed him, but... But, uh, it's, well, we'll it's never toothpick. know, will we? Yeah. yeah. And equally, we'll never know whose fault it was. Yeah. It's Justinian's, but we'll never know. Oh, maybe it's Jeff's fault. Or maybe it was just an so accident. He's, he's moved over there recently, hasn't he? He's recently arrived, so... Yeah. Oh, Jeff. I just think he was making, like, a model ship out of toothpicks. <laughs> And he was just malleting the last toothpick into place and he slipped. <laughs> Trouble is, he's in the other room. <laughs> Doesn't know his own strength sometimes. That's true. However, Vitalian ends up dead. Justinian now is suddenly looking like he is definitely in line to become the next emperor. Now, perhaps I should point out that this is one way of looking at it, and that's th it's the way I personally think it happened. But some historians claim that Justinian is essentially running the empire for his uncle at this time. Like, Maybe. straight away, as soon as Justin becomes the emperor, Justinian's actually running the, the shop. Do you think fully or just more sort of administrative stuff, like the boring stuff, the stuff he's good at? Uh, well, according to some, no, he is full ruler and Justin is just a puppet. Yeah, I, but I just don't really badly though. So I, he didn't do brilliantly. I, I just don't think that's true. I think Justinian used this time to learn as much as he could. Because yeah. you see a difference once he gets into power. So I don't think he's ruling for Justin at this point. I think he's no. biding his time. He's learning. He's watching. With how great Justinian apparently is, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't quite fit because Justin. Well, Justin wasn't bad, he just wasn't great. No, he just yeah. meh. Yeah, that's what he was. Yeah, and he, he probably learned more what not to do. Possibly. Like, oh, I'm not doing that one. I mean, <laughs> you can't say that. It's like trying to hold yeah. back our Prince Philip sort of thing. <laughs> Maybe. Either way, it does become clear after a while that Justinian is gaining more power. So as we discussed last week, he used this position to pass a law that enabled him to marry Theodora. 
Oh, so he could marry Mary's concubine. Yeah, as long as an actress repented her ways, they could now marry into the senatorial class. Oh, that's yeah. nice. So just just say you repent, and then you can get married. And they did. In 535, they wed in the Cathedral of Sophia, the main church in the centre of the city, built by Theodosius II. Oh, that's a long time, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a nice church. Really nice. Let's hope nothing happens to that. <laughs> now, around this time, Justinian was using the blues to gain popularity and support, and in return, they he turned a blind eye to much of what they were up to. And then one day, Justinian fell ill and died. No, he doesn't die. <laughs> uh, he was out of action for a few weeks, though. And this is when Justin, his uncle, remember, realises just how much Justinian was letting things slide with the deems and uh, had many of the ringleaders executed. Justin puts his foot down. Okay. Yeah, Justinian kind of gets over his illness and goes, oh, you've just killed some of my friends. But the rift doesn't seem too bad, because Justin and Justinian seem to be getting on just fine afterwards. Do you think he, like, he came around from his illness and, and went, oh, that's why none of my friends came to visit me. <laughs> They're all dead. Yes. Perhaps there were some harsh words. Uh, we have no way of telling. You brute. Yeah, I, I can't imagine Justin would have been too happy with Justinian. Justinian's letting the Blues get away with whatever they want. The Greens are starting to hate the royal family. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, it's yeah. not brilliant. But then you do want the Blues on your side, right? Well, if the Greens don't like you, then yes, you oh, would. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but still, like I say, if they did fall out, it's only temporary, because shortly afterwards, Justinian and his wife, Theodora, are named Emperor and Empress. Oh. Yes, they are crowned in the Church of Sophia. Again, Is that it's, the posh one? It's, it's a nice place. It's right in the centre. It's really nice. I mean, the original was built by Constantine himself. Uh, that burnt like down. himself? Himself, on his own. Yeah, okay. it was very impressive. It only took him the weekend. Wow. It was a long weekend, bank holiday, so he had some extra time. But <laughs> still, it's still impressive. But yeah, I, yeah. C- I couldn't do that. But then that burnt down, so Theodosius... Brick burns really well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why he managed to build it so quick. It was paper mache. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but still, it looked good. It yeah. did. And it burnt down. Theodosius too rebuilt it exactly the same. Okay. Paper mache again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's so- flammable, though. Yeah, yeah. Oh, all flammable. Oh, dear. Mm. Yeah. Hopefully they've got lots of fire hydrants nearby. Anyway, they, they get crowned in, in this... It's really nice. Church of Sophia. You should, you should visit. It's impressive. Yeah. Anyway, Justin's health by this point is failing, and the two were soon seen as the bright hope for the future, the two being Justinian and Theodora. But they're emperor and empress now. Yeah, exactly. They are the future. Yeah. Who cares that the old man's dying? And then the old man dies. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Justin's dead. And um, there you go. Justinian's now in sole command. And he'd had a lot of time to think about what he was going to do if he were emperor. Let's start. So, there are several things that Justinian wanted to crack on with. But I think all his actions can be summed up with this phrase. One god, one emperor, one empire. So, very autocratic... It will be this way, my rule, and we are all together. Everyone is together. We will all be one united empire. That's his philosophy. They are united. Well, we will see. Justinian had decided through all his reading of history and theology that the world was rightfully Roman, obviously. It says so in that book. Definitely. And uh, it needed to be brought back together. Few too many schisms. And you don't want schisms, do you? They make a right mess. Oh, yes. So he needs to sort this out. And also another thing you need to know about Justinian, um, before we really dive into his rule, he knows how to appoint people. Oh, yes, he does. 
So he's good at spotting... Well, he would put the very best people in the correct places. Oh, no, that's a bad sign, though. Because usually the best person in the job is an absolute nasty person. I was trying to find the right word there. <laughs> well, it didn't matter who they were, as long as they could achieve the job. If they could get the job done, Justinian put them in there. He's quite brutal, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Well, let's introduce some of his early appointments. First up is John of Cappadocia. He was from, I'm guessing, Cappadocia. You know what? I didn't even check. <laughs> but I'd be amazed if he wasn't. Um, this is John, who I'm going to keep calling John of Cappadocia, because another John turns up later on. Yeah. And we'll just call him John. Oh, J of C. Or JC. JC. So this is JC. JC, apparently, a bit rough around the edges. No formal education. Awful in social events. <laughs> um, had a habit of uh, deflowering virgins, apparently. Uh, um, a habit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the right verb? I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but a lot of people weren't best keen. Best pleased, no. even. Uh, uh, do you think they got invitations to parties that bring your daughter? No. 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 Yeah. He did have one talent, however. Juggling. No. Or maybe he did. He had two habits. Juggling and he was an amazing administrator. Okay. Oh, he got things done. He knew how to organise. Justinian makes him the Praetorian Prefect. And at the same time, so very early on, he rewrites the tax laws. The tax system, as per usual when left for a while, hugely benefits the rich and disproportionately harmed the poor. Because the rich people write it, usually. Yeah, exactly. Is, <laughs> of course. Throughout history, that tends to be what ends up happening. At least that doesn't happen now. Hey! Justinian rectifies this, making sure that the tax fell roughly equally across society. Those rich members of society that try to dodge the tax or find a loophole or simply refuse to pay soon realise that uh, JC was not above a light bit of flogging or torture. Nice! Just to make sure his point was driven home along with the spike. <laughs> and the rest of the poll. <laughs> yes. <laughs> People soon paid. Yeah. Yeah. You just need to show them the spike. Oh, yes. It's just a woodcut. This is what it looks like. Oh, my God, have the money. <laughs> he ended up just carrying a single nail around with him. And when, when people were asking about what needed to be paid, he'd just be sat down discussing the tax laws whilst tapping this one single nail on the table. <laughs> That's all he'd have to do. <laughs> Everyone would just fixate on the tapping of this one nail. And he wouldn't take his eyes off the person talking as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, he'd, not even blinking. No. He'd just tap the nail, discuss... For a good 15 minutes, the benefits of the new tax code mention how attractive their daughter looks at the moment <laughs> and then walk out the room. Oh. Yeah, nasty man. Yeah. But people paid their taxes. Yeah. So there you go. That That's JC, John of Cappadocia. He sounds like someone we want to go over a drink with. <laughs> as long as he didn't bring the nail. Yes. Right, then next up, Narses. Narses was a very talented eunuch. This time he was Justinian's chief steward. Uh, but throughout his career, he'd rise to the ranks of High Treasurer and then Grand Chamberlain, putting him equal in rank with Praetorian Prefect. Nice. He was trusted by John above all. And throughout his reign, Narses was essentially his chief advisor, right-hand man. He was always there for him. Oh, he's like the, 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 the city. He's like the sweep to the city. Does uh, sweep still have all his advantages? Oh, well, no, he's... he's from the waist down he's nothing he's a yeah hand. so just just like that yeah 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 good analogy <laughs> <laughs> works surprisingly well and then the third one i'll introduce now is trebonian trebonian was to the horror of many appointed as quiester of the sacred palace making him the highest law officer in the empire now the reason why people were horrified 
was because he was a pagan. Oh, yeah. Oh, what? We've not seen pagans for a while. A pagan. I mean, it's, it would be bad enough if he was a monophysite or even an Aryan. Yeah, but but a pagan. It's not even Christian. And not only that, he may have been the highest law officer in the land, but he was more than happy to be bribed and often <laughs> made decisions in law based on just who he favoured. He was biased, he was unfair, he was corrupt. Nice. However, he was also immensely knowledgeable, charismatic, and was willing to work hard. It was just what Justinian needed, because he was about to start his first major project. Building something? Yes and no. Not building something physically... But building something, I suppose it is physical. I'll just tell you. <laughs> As we saw in Theodosius 2's episode, Theodosius had collated all the laws and edicts since Constantine. However, this was, as I mentioned at the time, simply a collection. Nothing was done to sort out all the contradictions and adapt the law to make them more suitable to modern Roman life. Yeah. Justinian wanted to do one better. He was going to publish a code that sorted all the laws of the empire into one place. Like a big... Law book, scroll of law, with all the laws in. Yeah. Law one, don't, don't smell. And then that was <laughs> a bit more, amb- ambiguous because it's, it's more like a rule book, really. Well, it's like, well that's tricky as well because you, you know, does that mean you're not allowed to have a scent or you're not allowed to <laughs> sniff? Well, these were the problems that they had, and just yeah. anyone wanted to sort that out. You see. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah. So not only was he going to have all of the laws in one place to understand, he was also going to make sure they all made sense and they were all easy to understand. So no more would lawyers be able to simply make up a precedent that no one's ever heard of. If it wasn't in the code, then it wasn't the law. Nice. Now, with amazing speed, Trebonian and a special committee poured through all the law books in the university and started organising everything. Now, if Constantius II had said something that Julian had contradicted, simple, just rewrite what Constantius II said. (laughs) They they weren't precious. They wanted it sorted and clear. Fair enough. They went all the way back to Hadrian as well. Wow. Oh, yes. In less than 14 months, they managed to draft this codex, which is phenomenal. But they didn't stop there. They then worked on improved drafts and another publication called The Digest, which looked into (laughs) the... Proclamations of Jurists. The Byzantine Digest. Yeah. Out weekly. <laughs> this week, how to get your muffins to rise. The different kind of digest. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. The, this was all the precedents created during trials. So the previous book, the Codex, was yeah. all the edicts issued by emperors. Whereas this was all the precedents created during trials, personal opinions of past legal scholars, all these little things that people have been using but weren't technically official. And now they were, because they were given the full weight of the law. Nice. And then finally, they created a third book, a handbook for students of the law. That's nice. It's called The Institutions, consisted of four books. It was just a manual for jurists, how to use the other two books they'd created. (laughs) That's nice. Yeah. Especially these lawyers half through a case, like, picking something out their top pocket, like, what the hell was that? Uh, Ah, damn it, my case is falling apart. (laughs) Yeah. It's flicking through, flicking through. Perjury... Oh, yeah. Yeah, we did do that, didn't we? Right, okay. <laughs> B, 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 bribe. Are we not allowed? Oh. oh. Can I have a mini-back judge, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so things like that. The 
the law books were not rewritten, they were created, essentially. The impact of this cannot be overstated. As we have seen in our President's podcast, John Adams was there reading copies of this in Massachusetts in 1760. The code outlives the Roman Empire and creates the foundation of modern European law. Wow. Now, we don't have time to go into the ins and outs of this, um... I'll say this now, because it's going to be true for a few things. If you want to know more, listen to the History of Byzantium podcast. Because Rob Pearson goes into a huge amount of detail. I think he spends about ten episodes on Justinian. Wow. So, yeah, you can listen to more information about this if you go and check that podcast out. We haven't got time to go through all that. We don't need to know the ins and outs. Now, all you need to know, Jamie, to make your judgment, is that this was a good series of books. Everyone was mightily impressed... I can tell you. Well, I like a good read. Yes, exactly. So that's that's a tally in a good column. Yeah, Justinian was pleased himself. Yes, he was. But not everyone was. No. No. People of Constantinople were not convinced that this nephew of the frankly mediocre Justin was the right man to lead them. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Justinian is at the moment throwing lavish games, quite frankly burning through all of Anastasia's savings that he'd created, oh uh, trying to get the public to like him. They're just not fully convinced. They're not on board yet. <laughs> I need another six games for me to be really convinced. Yeah, and okay, he's making all these law books, but... How's that affect me? Yeah, I'm not a lawyer. So, mm, there's a lot of muttering in the city, shall we say. However... Justinian can't really focus on this because all of a sudden he's got something else on his mind. The Persians. Oh, they're back. Oh, yes. Now, if you remember, Anastasius had gone to war with Persia. Neither side achieved anything whatsoever. He has always. Completely pointless war. In the end, the Romans abandoned their attempt to take back Nisibis and had built up a counterfort called Dara, or on the site of Dara, uh, just on their side of the border. If you remember, the two forts really quite close to each other. They used to wave at each other. Yeah. Now, it was agreed that they would be at peace for seven years when that war finished, but actually about 20 years had passed. That's good. Yeah, that's nice. We don't have time to go through all the ins and outs of why hostilities broke out again. Brief summary, though. Iberia, a region north of Armenia, was under control of the Persians, and they decided to, to defect to the Romans. Long story short, this meant that the Romans and the Persians... Ended up fighting again. Yay. The Persians did well to start with, but they soon came across the new master of armies for the East. Who's that? Introducing Belisarius. Belisarius. Can't put a box around him, but underline him, definitely. Ooh, get some underlining. Oh, yes. Okay. Let's, let's do this. Good. Belisarius had come to Justinian's attention when his uncle was in charge. Belisarius had formed a bodyguard regiment of heavy cavalry in his spare time. Really fat horses. (laughs) Yeah, really. But they didn't know what else to do with them. They were an embarrassment. He said, well, heavy cavalry? Brilliant. (laughs) You're onto something. This unit was trained to act like the Huns with a bow and like the Goths with a lance and sword. Basically Mm. taking all the best fighting abilities from their opponents and creating a crack team. Nice. Yeah, it's a good... Good unit. Everyone mm. was impressed. So Justinian sends this young commander in his early to mid-twenties, very young, and decided to take a chance with him by giving him command of the forces against Persia. Oh, and it pays off. Belisarius <laughs> wins a stunning victory against the Persians outside Dara. The Romans were outnumbered two to one, but by a cunning use of tactics and a trench dug across the battlefield, 
he was able to defeat the superior forces. Nice. Yeah, using some quite good tactics. Again, History of Byzantium has an entire episode dedicated to this battle alone, if you want to go and find out about mm. that. But again, all you need to know for now is everyone was mightily impressed. I can tell you. Ooh, another, another tick in the column. Yeah, the Persians, shocked by this loss, attempted to invade Syria in an attempt to get a handle on things. Again, Belisarius reacts quickly and manages to cut them off. Now, this time when they fight, Belisarius actually loses, but damages the Persians enough that they were unable to continue with their invasion. Yeah, okay. So he achieves his goals there. And then, news came through of Kavad's death. Remember, Kavad is uh, the Persian king at this moment. Oh, yes. Yes, definitely remember him. <laughs> you said furiously looking at your notes from last time. Yep. We came across him in Anastasius's episode more. All right. So as you can imagine, the death of the Persian king of kings uh, has an effect on the Persian army. Yeah. Facing internal instability, the Persians suggest peace. And Ooh. Justinian accepts. But this was no normal peace. As normal peace deals uh, have a set period of time, like the last one. We won't fight for seven years, pinky promise. <laughs> Whereas this time, oh no, this was the perpetual peace. Ooh. The eternal peace. Big deal was made out of this. It was decided, look, let's stop fighting. Forever we will be at peace. Our two empires are the beacons of civilization. We shouldn't fight each other. We can live side by side. Yeah, we'll live side by side. And then we can focus on all these barbarians on the edges of our empires instead of fighting each other. This is folly. To sweeten the deal, it was agreed that the two brother emperors, as they were styling themselves as, would help each other out if needed. Oh. Yeah, yeah, it all sounds very good, doesn't it? Justinian also gave the Persians some gold to help patrol the Caucasian passes, as they had done before. So just going back to how it used to be. Everyone's happy. Eternal peace with Persia. How does that last? Go on, take a guess. A week? <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see how long it lasts. But it sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds great, yeah. yeah. If you achieve that, that's that's genesis are in itself. Oh, yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> what Justinian has done, however, is proved that he would not be pushed around by the Persians. Yeah. yeah. Persians clearly just testing this new, relatively inexperienced emperor. Can we push him around? Well, Justinian's saying, no. No, you can't. However, things got at home were still not going well. Those mutterings had... Uh, become a bit louder. Bad emperor. They said. Yeah, not really getting behind Justinian, the general public. The Greens had always hated him, and mm. now he was emperor, Justinian had decided it wasn't really on to favour the Blues, so he was treating them equally, and the Blues just felt a little bit betrayed. So the Blues weren't particularly liking him either. Do you think they like brought came to rallies and brought out all the cards? You send us this, this BFF card. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you love us anymore? We've got friendship bracelets, dude. Where's yours? Mine's here. That sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Now, if both factions were not really feeling the new emperor, it certainly didn't bind them together. They were still at each other. Yeah. Yeah, and it was not long before another riot broke out due to the Deems fighting each other, right. which, as we have seen, has become a common occurrence in Constantinople. During Anastasia's time and Justin's rule, uh, barely a week seemed to go by without another riot erupting. So Justinian, having seen all this before, ordered some of his troops down to the Hippodrome, go and restore order. After bashing some heads together, it was decided seven men were responsible. Four were sentenced to execution by beheading, the other three by hanging. Ugh. 
Oh, yes. However, on the day of the hangings, the three men were dropped. Two of them hit the floor, still alive. Someone have messed up. Or they've been let off secretly. No, no, just messed up. Oh. Yeah. Oh, the rope was too long. Yeah. I knew I shouldn't use a 12-metre rope. <laughs> yeah. Now, there was, interestingly, a law in Constantinople. If a man was hanged, but survived the hanging, what do you think happened? <laughs> do they just get hanged again? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the law was you string them up again and you just, just like do a proper job next time. <laughs> So, they were strung up again, and again they hit the floor alive. Oh, I used a 20 metre rope this time. <laughs> Went the wrong way, and it was shorter or longer. <laughs> who put Jeff in charge of this? <laughs> By this time, some monks who had come along for a picnic and a, a nice hanging, I suppose, <laughs> uh, thought, you know what, Th this isn't really on. We can't keep repeatedly hang someone. It's very stressful for us to yeah. watch how stressed they are. So all the monks kind of ran over, grabbed these two poor men, and uh, ran off with them to a nearby <laughs> church where they could have asylum. The city prefect hears of this to so send some soldiers to the church, go and get them back. We need to hang them. But none of the soldiers would enter the church and violate the sanctuary. In the church, the two men sat with sore necks, probably. <laughs> and also probably not talking to each other, because one was a green and one was a blue. Oh, dear. Yeah. Or awkward dinner. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of wafers and wine. <laughs> <laughs> now, this stalemate lasts for three days. By this point, news has got to Justinian of what's happened. Justinian refused to pardon the men. No, they need to be hanged. We've got to make an example. Uh, but also, he didn't want the church to be stormed, because that doesn't look good. No. So he just thinks, well, let's just wait it out. Let's see what happens here. We'll siege the church. Well, on the third day, the races were on. And Justinian thinks, well, this, well, this will calm everything down. Everyone loves the races. So the races will be on, everyone will be calm. The blues and the greens pack the Hippodrome, awaiting for the Emperor to appear. When he did appear, lots of them cried out for Justinian to pardon the two men. Justinian would have none of it. Grumbling, but the races begin. Hmm. Then, after several races had been finished, the green and blue athletes exclaimed, Long live the humane green and blues in unison. Ooh, unity. Oh, yes. This joint exclamation from the Deems was unheard of. And then the crowd all start to shout Nika. Nika was a common chant at these games. One team would chant it to their athletes as they were about to end the race. Just as they were about to win, they'd shout Nika at them. So it's like a well-done sort of thing. Well, it can be translated to the word win, which is what it's commonly translated as. But I also came across it being translated to this, and I prefer this, the word conquer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah not a game of conquers. Oh, but okay. To conquer. Yeah, yeah. with a key yeah. runner. The reason why I like the uh, it being conquer is because at this point, the entire crowd turn to the royal box and just start chanting conquer, conquer towards Justinian. Ah. Which at this point, I imagine he did a nervous poop. Yeah. Oh. I'm, I'm just gonna pop back to the palace. <laughs> and you know what? Looking at his his uh, his mosaic mosaic. Yeah. That's the expression on his face. Yeah, yeah. He's a bit nervous. Holding that bowl. Well, Justinian gets out there quickly. Yeah. And the crowd did what crowds do when they are angry. Right. They turned into a mob. Yeah. They all took their crowd t-shirts off, put their mob t-shirts on. They forced their way into the prison, holding the greens and blues from the previous riot. 
the ones that weren't executed. Yeah. Freed all them. And then they start the burning. Uh, the Senate House. Oh. Gone. The main baths of the city. Gone. And that massive church that you were so attached to. Oh, I love that church. That was really nice, wasn't it? The one made out of paper. Yeah. Burnt down. No! Oh, yes. Now, riots, as we know, are relatively common in Constantinople, but this one seemed to be something else. For five days and nights, it continues. Fires being started faster than anyone could put them down. Spokesmen for the Greens and Blues demanded that Trebonian and JC, both of whom are hated by the yeah. public, they demand that they are fired. Justinian, realising that everything was out of control, is forced to agree. Okay, okay. we're fired with them. Whatever, just stop burning the city down. But this did not slow things down, and calls for a new emperor start. One of Anastasius's nephews seemed to fit the bill. Remember Anastasius had his three nephews? Yeah. And Anastasius got them to sit on the, uh, the chairs, oh, yes. and they didn't sit on the right one. Yeah. Yeah. It's embarrassing. Um, they're still knocking about. They're a bit old now, but they're still around. So one member of the mob goes, oh yeah, hang on, one of his nephews is still alive. Let's go and get him. He can be emperor. So the, the whole mob go, yay! And they Woo. all run off together towards um, his house. Okay. They knock on the door, and no one answers. He's not in. So they burn the house down. What? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently it's because Anastasius' nephew had already fled the city. I'd like to think he was just hiding behind the sofa. <laughs> Pretend we're not in. It's like when a charity collector comes to your door. Yeah. Unfortunately, though, uh, the crowd burnt the house down. So let's oh. hope he did escape the city. Yeah. Otherwise he would have died a horrible death. Yeah. As you can imagine, Justinian at this point realises he's got to do something. He gets an idea. He's going to pull an Anastasius. Ooh. You remember Anastasius went to the Hippodrome when people called for his removal and he went down and said, fine, I'll retire if you really want me to. But if you think about it, do you really want me to? Oh. And everyone went, oh, actually, no, he's, he's not that bad, is he? So Justinian's going to do that, he thinks. Ooh, ooh. He goes down to the Hippodrome. The crowd are all there. Tough crowd. <laughs> a tricky gig, this one. Look, his warm pack was great. Yeah. <laughs> Jeff on a unicycle. <laughs> yeah, so everyone was a bit cheered up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Justinian apologises for the riots. He takes all blame himself. It is my fault for not leading you well enough. <laughs> I'm sorry that you burnt down the church, <laughs> and you burnt down the baths, and you burnt down our senate house. It's all my fault. <laughs> yeah, he says that. Yeah. And then he states that if everyone just, just goes home then I won't punish anyone. Let's just call it quits now, shall we? A cheer starts. But then a kind of sound of someone nudging someone very hard in the ribs takes place. And yeah! That cheering suddenly stops. And then there was just uh, coughs, embarrassed shuffling. Well, he's either playing a great bluff here, or he's got a plan. Well, then the booze start, oh. and then things start getting thrown. Justinian's hurriedly heads back to the palace. Shortly afterwards, someone else in the mob goes, hang on, I'm sure Anastasius has more than one nephew. Hasn't he got another one? Who's that guy you went and hid in the sea? <laughs> He'd be a great emperor. Yeah. Hypatius, that was his name. So, the mob all run off to go and find Hypatius. He didn't get out of the city quick enough or didn't hide behind the sofa because he was found. And he was, against his will, carried into the Hippodrome... <laughs> And crowned with a necklace because they didn't have a diadem, so they just found a essentially a necklace and put it on his head. There you go. You can be emperor whilst he was probably still in his dressing gown and his slippers. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to do this. <laughs> I don't want to bear. 
Right, back in the palace, Justinian realises that he's lost control here. It's time to flee. He's got to get out of the city. Oh. Preparations are made for his flight from the city for him and his advisors. They're all packing up all their stuff. At this point, Theodorus storms into the room. What the hell are you doing? And I quote here, It is impossible for a man once in this world not to die, but it is intolerable for a man who was once ruled to be in exile. Consider whether, when you reach safety, you will not regret that you did not choose death in preference. Oh. And everyone, like, halfway through packing their stuff, like, loaf of bread halfway in the bag, and someone's rolling up the duvet so it fits in the suitcase. Everyone just pauses. Looks at each other, feels a bit embarrassed. Mm. Everyone slowly puts their things down. Now you're right, maybe we should stay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So they don't flee. Instead, it's decided to do what Justinian's not really wanted to do. But it's all he can do now. He's going to have to call the troops in. Oh dear. Now Belisarius was back from fighting the Persians. So he was in the city, and he was selected to go and rally his men. Meanwhile, Justinian's right-hand man, Narses, would round up the guard. Narses took position at the gates of the Hippodrome with his men, one set of gates, while Belisarius soon entered the stadium at the other set of gates. Right. So you've got all the guards with their swords at one end, you've got all of the troops with their swords at the other end, and in the middle of this stadium were all the blues and the greens, and anyone else who happened to be there. Oh. And then Belisarius advances. Oh dear. It is a massacre. Blues, greens, and anyone else who happened to be there, including little old ladies attempting to cross the Hippodrome, (laughs) are chopped down. Oh dear. Oh yes. That's quite brutal. Oh yeah. This was a last resort, but they Justinian felt that it's either that or give up being emperor. Estimated 30,000 people are slaughtered on this day. Oh my goodness. Oh yes. Eventually, Belisarius reaches Hypatius. Anastasius as nephew. He didn't even want to be there. <laughs> he's sitting in his Jimmy Jams. Like he's, he's now got like a hot cocoa and a biscuit. He just well, the hot cocoa's cold at this point. It's congealing oh, yeah. on top. Yeah, yeah, he's got the skin. Occasionally, he absent-mindedly takes a sip because he's forgot it's gone cold. Top lip. And he's like, oh god, even my hot yeah. cocoa's cold. Yeah, he was dragged shaking to the emperor. Now, apparently, Justinian wanted to be lenient on Anastasius as nephew. Hypatius obviously didn't want this to happen. <laughs> uh, it's not his fault. But Theodora pointed out that he would always be a rallying point for those against the Emperor. Hypatius was executed, along with the other nephews. And the saddest thing about the story is, that morning he'd been to the local library to get out a scroll he's been wanting to read for months. Oh. It kept being taken out, he finally got his hands on it. Yeah. He just opened the front cover when the knock on his door. Oh. And he'd be, he hadn't even a chance to read that book. So, so frustrating. So, so annoying. Yeah. I should point out here... This is a common theme, what's just happened here in the history of Justinian, in that when Justinian does something good, well done Justinian, when Justinian does something slightly cruel or heavy-handed, apparently it's always Theodora who's whispered it into his ear first. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Misogyny! Well, I've never seen this questioned in any of the books I've read, but it really stuck out to me. It's like, what? It's always Theodora who comes up with the slightly ruthless things. It's never Justinian. Well, he's going to want to be painted as like a miracle guy, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. So I I don't think we can blame Theodore for for that reason alone. He does not get a (laughs) genesis. Well, there's still lots to go, don't worry. Really? Oh, yeah. This is still at the start of his rule. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Right. Told you it's a long one today. Anyway, 
Well, let's move on. So Justinian, determined to show strength here, then reappoints John of Cappadocia and Trebonian. You might have got away with all these riots under Anastasius and my uncle, but now it's time to get in line, everyone. Nice. Eventually, law and order is resumed, and everyone looks around at the smouldering rubble that was the capital. And if you looked closely on Justinian's face, a little smile appeared. Oh, yes. Because if there was one thing that Justinian loved to do, it was build things. He must have been a great Lego builder. Oh, yes. Now, again, not enough time to cover everything he ought to build at this time, but a lot of building works suddenly go on. But let's just focus on the main one here. In the riots, the Church of Sophia had been burnt down. Mm. Yeah. So, they needed a new one. Justinian decided that they would not actually rebuild this church like Theodosius II did. (laughs) We're going to use brick. (laughs) Well, instead, they were going to build a new church. And he happened to have in his employment at this time two of the most renowned architects in the empire. They'd already started plans for building projects. Justinian obviously had this in mind, but now it could be done right now. So he turned to his architects and he gave them two instructions. Make it big and make it quick. As for quick, Justinian's about 50 at this point and wants to see it finished before he dies. Fair enough. So whatever you do, do it quickly. As for big, Justinian wanted one thing. Simply, the greatest building ever built. Oh, that's easy. People seeing this church had to have no doubt that Constantinople was the capital of the world and the capital of Christianity. Rome's got the Pope. I don't care. We're going to have this building. So it's basically his massive advantage. Oh, yes. The plans were rapidly put together, and so was the workforce. 104 men were appointed, each with 100 men under them. Wow. Oh, yes. 10,000 men were set to work on this. 5,000 were to start on the north side, 5,000 at the south. Competitions between the two sides was encouraged. (laughs) 84 of my men have died. (laughs) It's the fighting going on. Yeah. Bill Quick. And so rapidly, the Hagia Sophia, which I know is not technically how you pronounce it, but the anglicised version, the Hagia Sophia began to emerge. Is it still around now? Oh, yeah. Go go to Istanbul. You will find it. It's a mightily impressive building. I use Google as quicker. (laughs) Yeah, Jamie is Googling. (laughs) One of those buildings that at the moment doesn't look that impressive from the outside, although it's still impressive, but the inside is phenomenal. I'll be the junior. Okay, well, Jamie can uh, Google that. Hagia Sophia images. Wow, is that it? Yeah. That is genuinely impressive. Yeah, yeah. The four towers around the edge weren't there then, because that was added when it became a mosque. That would make sense. Yeah, Uh, but that's the outside, and that's the inside. I'm guessing it's still now a mosque. No, it's a museum now. Oh, museum, okay. Although it still retains it's a lot Arabic of letters on it. Yeah, it it <laughs> looks very much like it did when it was a mosque. That's, that's quite impressive. It's an impressive building. It's certainly better than Coventry's modern new cathedral. <laughs> yes, it is. Wow, look at it. Big. Well, let's go into that, shall we? You need a, he- need a heck of a ladder to get up there, don't you? Yeah, you, you, you're saying you're impressed by the size of it. You can fit Nelson's column inside it. Really? Yes, you can. Wow. You can almost fit the Leaning Tower of Pisa inside it. Did you know... Yeah. The Leaning Tower of Pisa is hollow in the middle. Did you know they recently discovered the tower's not actually leaning, it's just the ground underneath it's on a hill? <laughs> yeah, anyway, um, anyone walking into this huge church was just stunned at the grandeur of the building. 
The dome was smaller than the Pantheons at Rome, uh, but it was higher up, and it was supported <laughs> by a square room, making the whole thing seem larger. It was just mightily impressive. Yeah. It would be almost a thousand years until someone managed to build a more impressive church. In the meantime, the Hagia Sophia influenced the architecture of churches and mosques around the world. Wow. So, yeah, hugely influential building, this one. Justinian made it. And the most amazing thing is that it only took six years to build. Six years? Oh, yes. Wow. Sure. A couple of corners were cut. <laughs> As in, it didn't have any corners. <laughs> Just walls. The, the fact that they'd not let the mortar dry completely properly before, like, popping the dome on top meant that the uh, the walls started to bend outwards. Yeah. It's a, it, uh, it's a feature. Yeah, it is. A feature that caused the dome to collapse a couple of decades later, so okay. they had to rebuild it. And apparently, although it was mightily impressive where it needed to be, it had a sort of, you know, like the back of a, a theatre. Oh, yeah, sort of like chipboard and plywood. Yeah, apparently it's a little bit like that in places. The uh, the bricks didn't quite line up in places and stuff. But that's okay. You can do that gradually as you go. Yeah, on. exactly. Bit of a bodge job. Was, yeah. There was. Let's just say there was more gaffer tape than usual. <laughs> yeah. But still, mightily impressive. When they finished, Justinian walked into his completed church and said, Solomon, I have outdone you. Who's Solomon? Um, I don't know, some, some guy. Built, built a temple once in Jerusalem, I think. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, there you go. Right, next. During all of this building, things were kicking off somewhere else in the Mediterranean. It's the Vandals. Vandals! Oh, yeah. Now, Justinian had actually been getting on with the king of the Vandals, a man named Hilderic. We know Hilderic. Yes, he said his name before. I'll forgive you if you forget why, though, uh, because it was a while ago. Gesseric. Remember Gesseric? Yes. Oh, yeah. He kidnapped the daughter of Valentinian III, Eudoxia, yeah, and then married Eudoxia to, to his son. Yeah. Together, they had had a child and called him Hilderic. So Hilderic is the grandson of Valentinian III and Gesseric. Oh. Yeah. Expect great things from him then, yeah? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, before Justinian came to the throne, he'd befriended Hilderic, like in a pen pal kind of way. The two shared opinions on religious matters. However, around this time, Hilderic was deposed by his cousin Gelimer. Uh-huh. Gelimer had no truck with this talk of orthodoxy from Hilderic and confirmed that vandals were and always would be Aryan. So Justinian writes to Gelimer, letting him know that he disapproved of Gelimer's actions and his friend Hilderic had better be okay. He then started to organise an invasion force. Mm. Now this may have been seen as folly by some. As we saw, both Majorian's and Leo's attempts to invade Africa did not end well. <laughs> no. No, but Justinian was determined, and he had just the man to do it, Belisarius. Yes. He would lead the 15,000 men. Now, the invasion did not start well. After setting sail, Belisarius was forced to hang some of his Hunnic mercenaries because they kept getting drunk and killing each other. Well, happens. Yeah, happens. Also, JC, back in Constantinople, had been in charge of organising the food for the invasion. He'd cut some corners by baking the bread in the furnaces that heated the baths, rather than actual bakery ovens. So, a bit doughy. A bit doughy, and then a bit mouldy. Oh. Yeah. More delays. So you, want, you, you need to bake out as moisture as possible to make it last longer, right? Yeah. You want nice, yeah. tough, hard bread. Yeah. And you, you're trying to bake them underneath the baths. <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> it's not great. Yeah. A few tea lights. 
<laughs> yes. Rubbing your hands together next to some dough. <laughs> trying to get the heat out of there. Yeah, it just wasn't working. Anyway, after several delays, they arrive in Sicily, where the plan was to Sicily. take the stock, see what's going on in the area. By now, the vandals will probably get wind we're on to them, so let's find out where they are. However, Belisarius was overjoyed to learn that the Vandals had not caught wind of their coming. In fact, the Vandal fleet was up in Sardinia, putting down an uprising. The road to Africa was completely clear. Ooh. So, Belisarius nips across the sea and lands. And there you go, he's already done what Majorian and Leo had failed to do. I'm there. Yeah, well that was easy, why didn't we try this before? <laughs> they turn around... Lots of like massive arm with all the noise. <laughs> uh. Oh, that's why. Well, they're in Africa, but is that enough? Because Gelimus soon realises that he's being invaded, so sets up his retaliation. Mm. The Vandal King split his troops into three factions, led by his brother and his nephew. The plan was to descend upon the Romans from all sides and destroy them. Yeah. Easy. They've beaten the Romans several times in the past. How hard can this be? Walk in the park. However, they messed up their timing slightly. <laughs> Three months too late. <laughs> yeah. Well, when Gelimer attacked, he was horrified to see that he was too late. His nephew had been routed, and worse still, his brother was dead. Oh. Gelimer refused to continue the attack until his brother had been buried. Gelimer actually comes across his body, apparently. Oh, he trips on it. Yeah. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah, not great. So Squelch, fall. Oh, what's that? Oh. What have I put my foot in? Oh, it's all oh, over the stomach. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh. Look at the mess. That is going to be a pain getting that out of the treads. <laughs> oh. Oh, it's chain mail. <laughs> what the bits are in? Well, his soldiers hastily start a burial. Yeah. And then the Vandals saw what had destroyed the other sections of their army, Huns. Oh, As we've seen, seen the Huns were pretty good at fighting. They're quite good, yeah. Yeah, their cavalry archers were devastating, but this time they were fighting for the Romans. Oh, brilliant. And Gelimer's troops melted in the onslaught. Two days later, Belisarius was in Carthage eating the victory feast that had been prepared for Gelimer. Nice. Which I imagine food tastes all the better when it was being prepared for your enemy. Yeah. Even and if you get to eat it. Even if it's mouldy and been there for two months. It was just dairy cheese triangles. Oh, but they're the best triangles that you ever had. Yeah. I mean, they were, like, fancily put on the plate to, like, make yeah. hedgehog shapes. But there's no getting away from it. It is just cheese triangles. They'd even had the wrappers taken off. Yeah, yeah. So. Which is the worst bit of dairy dunker. <laughs> yes. So, after a, a nourishing meal, um, <laughs> they all go to sleep and uh, everyone's happy. Gelimer doesn't give up, though. He's determined to fight back. Seeing how important the Huns were to the Roman forces, he secretly sends agents to bribe the Huns to change sides. After all, the Huns are Aryan. The Vandals are Aryan. Shouldn't they be on the same side? The Huns thought this over. Interesting, they think. Unaware, Belisarius sets off to finish off Gelimer and the Resistance. However, Belisarius suspects something's up, so he keeps the Huns back to start with. It's only when the battle was obviously going in his favour, and the Huns had no incentive to switch sides, does he unleash them. See, that's intelligent. Yeah. Again, the Vandals suffered a huge loss. Again, Gelimer runs. He's pretty much lost everything by this point. <laughs> He's tracked down to a place where he was being hidden by Berber tribesmen. He was told that he would be treated well once he surrendered. Gelimer sends word that he would not surrender immediately. First, he wanted a sponge, a loaf of bread, and a lyre. 
<laughs> so the Romans send um, Frank. <laughs> yeah, with a stone. <laughs> There's your sponge. <laughs> yeah. Oh, weather's terrible out. <laughs> well, confused, the man in charge uh, asked, why on earth does Ganema want these things? Apparently the sponge was to soothe an eye infection that Ganema had. The bread was because Ganema was fed up of eating all this peasant food. Um <laughs> And the liar, that's my favourite part, was because he'd written a song about his woes and wanted to try it out. Oh, he's gone full emo. He had gone full emo oh. in a cave somewhere. <laughs> Long black hair. Yeah. Weird side parting thing in front of his face. Yeah. No one gets me. <laughs> I wrote a poem. Eventually he was seized and taken back to Belisarius. And when he was presented, he was shaking with laughter. Apparently he had lost his mind. Oh. After a century, Africa is back in the empire. Oh, that, that okay, that's impressive. The Vandals were defeated. It's been a long time the Vandals have had Africa. Yeah, I remember yeah. when it was taken away. Yeah, so there you go, it's back. Belisarius heads back to Constantinople and was awarded something that had not been given to a non-emperor since Augustus's day. A triumph. A triumph, wow. Yeah, Justinian brings triumphs back. Now, this is all very well and good, but Justinian is a student of history, and if there's one thing that's irking him at the moment, it's the fact that he is a Roman emperor, and he does not control Rome. No. It's time to get it back. No, he's not going to do that. Oh, yes. It's time to invade Italy. So, Italy recap. When we last saw Italy, it was being ran by Theoderic the Great, after Zeno had encouraged him to go and take it over. Go, go and take Italy, yeah. leave us alone. As we've seen, it was run by the Aryan Goths, uh, but the subjects were Orthodox Christian Romans. Hmm. That includes having the head of the religion, the Pope, living in Rome. Nice. Now, Theoderic kept the Pope on side by highlighting the difference between the Monophysite-leaning East and the Orthodox West. Yeah. Don't, don't get ideas. We're, crazy. We may be goths, but we're better than that lot. Shortly before Theoderic's death, he announces that his grandson would rule after him. And then when Theoderic died, his grandson takes over. But he's only eight. Oh. Yeah. However, the grandson's mother, Amalasantha, tries her best to raise the boy to be a good ruler. Unfortunately, those in the royal gothic court think, why is this woman saying what the king can do and can't do. He should be with us, feasting, fighting. So they take the king off his mother. Oh. He's dead within nine years uh. due to <laughs> drinking problems. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, they... they not for him. No, they, they don't really show him the best way to rule. No. <laughs> no. They really don't. Drink whatever you want. Amalasantha, before her son dies, realises her hold on power's failing and it's a dangerous place to be. Things are not looking good for her. So she writes to Justinian asking for asylum, just in case she needs it in the future. <laughs> just in case. Uh -huh. Now, Justinian was more than happy to have the daughter of Theoderic the Great on side, so said yes. However, when the young king died, the throne went to Theoderic the Great's nephew. Now, showing some keen political skills, Amalasantha manages to get the nephew of Theoderic to agree to a joint rule. And the nephew agrees, okay, fair enough, but he did not trust Amalasantha, so had her strangled in her bath. Uh, oh. That's a shame for her. However, for Justinian, this is just what he needs. A pretext for war. The mm -hmm. nephew of Theoderic the Great had just killed the rightful ruler of Italy, 
a province of the Empire, nonetheless. After all, the Goths were just running it for the Empire. Oh, hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, this was an uprising, and it had to be put down. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Clever. Again, Belisarius was sent out. He was delayed as an uprising in Africa, had to be put down, but he does that, and eventually makes it to Sicily. He takes that with no problem at all, and then heads into Italy proper. <laughs> he goes north, and meets no resistance until he arrives outside Naples. I like Naples. The city of Naples was not going to let this so-called Roman army in. After all, they weren't even speaking Latin, they were speaking Greek or Punic. What? Yeah, they might call themselves Romans, but they're Easterners. We're the real Romans, thought the people in Naples. Yeah. We're, we're not going to let this foreign army in. Hail Augustus. Yeah, so they shut the gates on them. The siege lasts for three weeks, until an Isaurian soldier, fascinated by the aqueducts, discovered an underground opening into the city. <laughs> now, it was small, but Belisarius had his soldiers attack the other side of the city, while other men in his command, with chisels, went down to the hole and widened it out a little bit. Are these the tunnels that are still there in the These are tunnels that are still there. They're also the tunnels that we said that Augustulus got lost in yes. and stayed there. So oh. I'm guessing Augustulus can hear all this going on. Oh, he's still down there. desperately <laughs> trying to get to the sound so he can be rescued. But yeah. no, by the time he catches up with them, yeah. it's, well, they're already gone. Oh. Yeah, so he's still down there in the tunnels trying to find a way out. A little candle that yeah. well, burns out years ago. It's just, yeah. it's just a stub. <laughs> Poor Augustulus. Bless him. Yeah. Now, Belisarius had warned Naples. If they didn't open up, he would allow his troops to sack the city. They hadn't opened up, so Belisarius allows them to sack the city. For hours, the Roman army rampages through Naples, burning, looting, raping, pillaging. I'm sure the people of Naples were very happy to know that they were once more in the Empire. <laughs> yay! <laughs> Wonderful! There's my dead child floating in the river. Oh, yay. <sighs> Now, this relentless march north by the Romans caused the Goths to start thinking again about their leader, who so far had done nothing to stop this advance. So they deposed Theoderic's nephew, and they put another king on the throne. Uh, there's a reason I'm not giving you the names. They get through them quite rapidly. Oh, you don't fine. need to know the names. There's a new Gothic king. That's all you need to know. And this Gothic king promptly decides that defending Rome would be far too difficult and retreats to Ravenna. Oh, oh yeah. Therefore, Belisarius is able to walk into the old capital and reclaim it for the empire. Really? Rome is back. We've got Rome back? Oh, yes. Oh, Rome's back. Belisarius probably did a quick tour of the city, went to see Nervous <laughs> Rubbish Forum. Oh, took some selfies near the big columns and stuff. Yeah, stuff like that. Went and had a look at Trajan's massive column. Massive column. Oh, yes. Oh, just saw the sights, oh. all the old things. Looked at, went into a, like a big hall where all the old busts are from all yeah. the old emperors. With a score underneath everyone that someone's been doing. Yes. Yeah. Stairs of Death. He went to go and see the Stairs of Death. Oh, you can still see Trace of Blood. You still see Vitellus's, like, spinal column. Yeah. On the yeah. last step. Yeah. Mm. Good times. Yeah. However, he's, he's interrupted from this tour because he realises it's only a matter of time before the Goths are able to regroup and attempt to take the city back. So, he surveys the Aurelian walls, looking for weak points, ordering repairs. <laughs> Look around the wall, big pyramid halfway through one. Is, is that a pyramid? Yeah, yes, sir. I can't help but notice it's going through the wall. I'd say it's, it's more of a ramp. <laughs> Should we do something about that? Nah. <laughs> I think I'd be right. <laughs> be fine. Is that an escalator? <laughs> now, sure enough, 
Once the new Gothic king had raised enough men, they approached Rome and sieged the city, and they cut off the aqueducts. And these aqueducts are never repaired again. Oh, re- oh this really? This is when they end, yeah. Oh, that's a bug of the people living there. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, because of this, and also what happens over the next few years, Rome declines hugely. Arguably, it does not recover from this war for a thousand years. Wow. Yeah. But we're getting ahead of ourselves there. For now, Belisarius needed a way to feed the people of the city, so he used the current of the river Tiber to power mills to make grain. Very clever. Yeah. The siege lasts a year. Morale was low. On both sides, it's uh, harder to siege than to be sieged, but it's hard on everyone. Belisarius had to repeatedly reassure people Justinian's sending reinforcements. Honestly, they're just round the corner. (laughs) They've been around the corner for the last 12 months. (laughs) Yeah. Belisarius just has to hope that this is true. However, he is able to get word to John. Now, this is a new John, not JC. Okay. This John is the nephew of Vitellian, who is now dead. Okay. Yeah. So, he's just called John. John was a commander in the army, and he had 2,000 horsemen with him. And he made good use of them, because he rode north, and he took Rimini, a city only 30 miles from the Gothic stronghold, Ravenna. I had a holiday in Rimini. Yeah, very nice. Now, the Gothic king sieging Rome realised, we can't take Rome. And also, reinforcements are on their way. And also, someone's taken Rimini. You know what, it's time to fall back to Ravenna. So they retreat. However, the moment that they've all packed up their tents and have turned their backs on Rome, Belisarius comes storming out of the city and cuts a huge amount of them down as they are crossing the Malian Bridge. Oh. So win for Rome again. Then, Belisarius sends orders for John to return. You're too far north. We need to keep to the plan here. Yeah. It's great you've distracted them, but retreat, we'll take Rimini later on. John sends word back, no. Gelato is lovely. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant here. We're all staying. Love and kisses, John. Unfortunately for John, however, the Goths then sieged Rimini. Oh. Rimini is not like Rome. They were not going to be able to hold out for long. And then the reinforcements do arrive, probably to many people's annoyance. <laughs> and now you come. However, not just fresh troops, but they're being led by someone. It's none other than Narses. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, he's come along to see what, what what's going on. I mean, you wrapped up the whole Africa thing quite quickly. This one's lasting a bit of time, Belisarius. Just only wants to know um, any progress at all. Been here 15 months. Yeah, come on. Now, Belisarius, not too pleased that he's been checked up on. And also, quite angry with John for refusing to follow orders. Yeah. So he's contemplating just leaving John to the Goths. Serves him right, insubordination. Yeah. Narses, however, hears of this and points out that they've got 2,000 Roman men in there. Not just men, but a good cavalry unit. You can't just give up on that. We need to go and save them. He reprimands Belisarius for letting personal opinions get in his way. Being siege for like over a year, though. You're gonna yeah. You'll be a bit tetchy. You would. Anyway, it's decided. They go off to Rimini. They drive the Goths off the city. John comes out full of thanks for the rescue. <laughs> Only his thanks were directed squarely at Narses. Oh dear. He completely ignores Belisarius. See, Belisarius just kept coughing a bit louder. (laughs) To be fair, Belisarius was willing to leave John to die, so I can kind of see why John was. But, um. Yeah, and again, Belisarius did save him, so. Arguments on both sides there. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, meanwhile, while all this was going on, Belisarius Adorazzo sent 1,000 men up to garrison Milan. He'd received word from Milan We want to be on your side. 
We hear you're doing good things. We'll come back in the Empire. So a thousand men should do it. Send those north. We're dealing with the Goths down here. Not a problem. Unfortunately, as this thousand men went north, lots of other towns kept saying, yeah, yeah, we'll join you as well. So this detachment of a thousand men kept leaving groups of men in these towns. By the time they uh, get to Milan, there's only 300 of them left. <laughs> so you need a forward plan. <laughs> yeah. Which, again, not a huge problem. All the Goths are, are down south. It's, it's not a huge deal. But then suddenly a Frankish reinforcement army arrive working for the Goths. Milan was surrounded by 10,000 men and had 300 to defend it with. Well, as we know, any battle against 300 people, the 300 will always win. The trouble with this, though, is they hadn't sent all the ones with rippling pecs. Ah, oh, but they're wearing armour, aren't they? Like, wimps. Yeah, they're just like normal soldiers. Oh, no. Yeah, they tried taking their armour off, but... Just flab. Yeah, it was... They'd been... Been siege-free, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they hadn't been keeping up. Yeah, so it's not looking good. Belisarius orders an army to go north to relieve the city. By this point, the Goths are there as well. But the presence of Narses had confused the chain of command. John, in particular, refused to go anywhere until Narses had agreed to the order. Ooh. Yeah, it's having two commanders is not working here. In the end, it didn't really matter either way, because Milan fell very quickly. The Goths took their revenge for the betrayal of the city. The entire city is razed to the ground. Procopius estimates 300,000 people were slaughtered or sold into slavery. Milan is reduced to nothing. But great fashion line now, though. Still, I'm sure everyone in Italy is really happy that they're getting pulled back into the empire, though. Yes, yeah, smooth. <laughs> really good. It's like ripping off a plaster, isn't it? Yeah. Or a band-aid. Nice and quick, come on. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't even feel it. Still, despite all of this misery, the Romans were actually winning and had managed to push the Goths back to Ravenna. After four years of fighting, <laughs> the two sides were exhausted. Not surprised. The Goths in a hopeless situation, but as we have seen, Ravenna all but impossible to take without some form of trickery. Because that's the, the, it's like an island in the middle of a lake or something, wasn't it? In your mind, yes, because you're yeah. just saying that. But it's just surrounded by marshland. But let's say it is Lake Town. Yeah. Because it's more interesting that way. Dragons. So, yes. So, it's Lake Town. That's yeah. what it is. Nice. Yeah, so a long siege lay ahead of them anyway. <laughs> Especially if it's Lake Town. Sieging in boats. <laughs> the tunnels were awful. <laughs> <laughs> I keep trying to dig this tunnel, but he's filling right back up again. <laughs> Yes. So yeah, it's 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 not looking great. I mean, they've they've done most of the job, but this was a hard nut to crack at the end. And then one day, an envoy comes out of the city and arrives in Belisarius's camp. The Goths would surrender. Wow. And bow down to the true emperor, the emperor of the West, Belisarius. <laughs> <laughs> Awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile. <laughs> Justinian has been busy on his building projects and his lawmaking, so all that's coming along whilst this is happening. He was receiving regular reports on the war and had provided reinforcements when he could. Mm -hmm. He had recalled Narses when it became clear that having two commanders was actually hindering things. <laughs> so he pulled Narses back. And then he heard some disturbing news. Not about Belisarius. Oh. The Persians were on the move. But they shouldn't be. We've got eternal peace. Apparently, eternity lasts about eight years. Okay. <laughs> it would seem. Yeah. A Persian translator had been captured and persuaded, shall we say, to tell the Romans what was going on. Apparently, 
the Gothic king had written to the new Persian king that if the Persians were to attack at this point, the Romans were caught up in Italy. The Persian king thought this through and agreed. Oh, that's not playing by the rules, is it? It's not. Realising that this threat was far more important than reclaiming Italy, Justinian writes to his best general and ordered him to return. We can get Italy later. This is a real empire coming to invade us. Yeah. Yeah. We need everything we've got to fight the Persians. So back in Italy, Belisarius received word that he was needed in the east. Instead... He spent a while talking with the Goths. Ah, Emperor, you say? (laughs) He sent away those commanders who had sided with Narses when Narses was around, just to make sure everything's nice and clear. And after a lot of negotiations and talking and figuring out the fine details, the Goths opened the gates to their new emperor. Picture the scene here. Okay. You're outside the gates. Big gates, got it. You watch Belisarius and all his troops march into the city. Right. The gates close. I keep watching those gates. Yeah. Sun's shining. Birds are tweeting. Still uh-huh. watching the gates? Yeah. And then the screams start. Oh. You see a gothic head fly over the walls. <laughs> it's turning so like a Catherine wheel. <laughs> yeah. Splats of blood instead of sparks. The screams continue for a while. Yeah. And then abruptly stop. That's when she say, I want my mummy. Yeah. Gargling, slitting sound. Yeah. Yeah. After a a period of time, which you'll wish you never experienced later, uh, (laughs) the gates open again. Belisarius, streaked with blood, walks out, claps his hands together, rubs them together and says, Right, we're needing the Eastlats. He's a badass. (laughs) Oh, yes. That's amazing. However... This delay meant the Persians had time to attack and completely sack Antioch. Now, Justinian was not best pleased with his general. He had told Belisarius to come back immediately. Belisarius did not want to leave because he was so close to winning. Yeah. So he spent a couple more months making sure it was won. He did not return. He had disobeyed orders. Yeah, but at least Belisarius, you know, fights. (laughs) Well, there is that, yeah. Also... Justinian wasn't too happy that um, his general had been proclaimed emperor and accepted. Even if it was a ruse, it's still... Mm, it's not the done thing, is not it? Not the done thing, no. Still, Belisarius was back and he was too good not to use, so off to the east. Fighting starts up again on the Persian border. Again, fairly even. The war was just hotting up. Fights on both sides. It's all about to kick off big style. So at the moment, just like skirmishes and skirmishes, but it's testing this, the water. This was going to be big. This is like dipping your toe in before you jump into the yeah. pool, isn't it? And everyone's on the edge, about to jump in. Yeah. When something far, far more dangerous than any army suddenly arrives. Meteor. No, but that would have been fun. <laughs> That'd have been weird. <laughs> Massive meteorite. Because during this war, our friend Doctor Tony had just had his story. <sighs> Doctor Tony. Oh yes, the first ever recorded outbreak of the bubonic plague was about to hit. Ooh, okay, that's not good. And I hate to say this, we just don't have time to go into the plague in detail like we did with smallpox. Maybe we'll find a time to do that (laughs) another day. But let's go over the... uh, Let's sum it up a little bit here. Oh, I love the plague. Well, the plague swept through the empire, but hit hardest in built-up areas, and the largest of those built-up areas, obviously, was Constantinople. To begin with, 
The death toll in the city was not much higher than usual, but it was not long before 5,000 were dying every single day. That's a lot. And then 10,000 every single day. Apparently the worst day, 16,000 died. Oh my goodness. People broke out with swelling in the groin and the armpits. They suffered fever, sometimes hallucinations. Then they'd either fall into a coma or become delirious, unable to sleep. Some died within days. Some took longer. Some recovered but had muscle spasms for the rest of their lives. Vomiting blood was considered a bad sign. (laughs) Because that meant death was soon to follow. Okay. Very quickly, the city staggers to a standstill. And if you remember back to our smallpox episode, I did mention that there is a theory that smallpox was also doing the rounds at the same time. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. That's not fair. Well, to begin with, people started to attempt to bury the dead. (laughs) But then they were soon just dumped in out-of-the-way places, like down that alleyway no one uses. In a hedge. In Grandpa's room. No one goes in there (laughs) anyway. But soon enough, these spaces were filled up, and then bodies were just left in the streets. And then eventually, just left wherever they died. Justinian turned to one of his secretaries and gave him a considerable sum in order to deal with all the bodies. Huge pits were dug on the other side of the Golden Horn. The Golden Horn being the waterway just north of Constantinople. Okay. So, across the water to them. Okay. You're looking at a map there. Yeah, you carry on. So, yeah, they build these big pits. But soon, these big pits are being filled quicker than they can be dug. So, they start stamping the bodies down. Oh, no. Witnesses compared it to the stamping of grapes to make wine. Oh, that's horrible. (laughs) You're not a wine you'd want to drink. I'm drinking wine now. (laughs) Yes, you are. (laughs) Oh, that's horrible. Oh, because that implies they're all squishy. Oh, yeah. Oh, I need to get two varieties. (laughs) Green and red. (laughs) Don't laugh about the dead, Rob. Cream. Oh, (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) let's move on. Um, This was obviously not a long-term solution, so the roofs of guard towers of the suburb were taken off and bodies were just thrown into the towers. They (laughs) soon became full. Imagine the smell. Oh, yeah, the smell, apparently, if the wind was blowing in the right direction, was just awful. By this time, food had run out. Those not sick were soon starving. And then word spread. Justinian was dying. What? He was in a coma. He'd caught the plague. Oh, no. (laughs) Law and order breaks down entirely. Everyone outside the walls of the palace just had to cling on and hope that this would pass before they all died. Four months after the first outbreak, the plague finally moves on. It's hard to calculate, but apparently 40% of the city died in those four months. Wow, that's a massive amount. So every family would have been affected. Yeah, everyone. Literally everyone is affected by this. And that's just Constantinople. Mm. The plague swept forwards and backwards over the empire for the next few years, and then kept reappearing for the next couple of hundred years. The initial breakout was the worst, though, and an estimated 25 million people die. Wow. Now, this plague changes everything. Change the size of your army, that's for sure. Yeah, the fields outside were not being reaped. Um, Yeah, it's your entire economy has just collapsed. Damn. Yeah, good job he got that church built quickly. (laughs) 
However, what didn't change was the Emperor. Amazingly, Justinian survived his run with death. However, whilst Justinian was still recovering, word came through to Theodora. The generals in the army had heard Justinian was about to die, and they decided they would have the last say on who was the next emperor. Oh dear. Theodora not too pleased about this. Belisarius was recalled and stripped of his command. Oh no. Now his, his amassed fortune was confiscated. However, once Justinian fully recovered, Belisarius was pardoned and his wealth returned. That's good. Yeah. Justinian then attempts to figure out what the hell was going on with his empire. <laughs> the plague seems to be settling down slightly. What, what's going on? Let's assess the damage here. And oh, it didn't look good. As we saw with smallpox, plagues are the great levellers. Small tribes are affected far less than great empires. The Moors were causing trouble in Africa. The Goths had recovered a lot of strength in Italy. There was rumblings coming across the Danube from the Bulgars and the Slavs. Justinian decides that Italy needed to be calmed first. A new Gothic king had emerged called Totila, and he was styling himself as a man of the people, a great liberator, freeing the Italians from Eastern Roman rule. He's a populist, isn't he? Oh, yes. The message seemed to be going down well. It did not help that the men Justinian had left to rule Italy had wasted no time in exploiting the country for all of the wealth they could get. They were treating it as a province, not the home province. Oh dear. Which is understandable, but... They wouldn't see it as such, would they? Yeah, but the the people of Italy were not best pleased. No, my home. One of the people in charge of Italy was nicknamed the Scissors. Why? Because he used to clip the coins to make him sound okay. rich. Which is really boring. I was hoping for oh, better myself. Yeah, me too. Well, no. Wow. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, Totila had managed in Belisarius's absence to claim back most of Italy, bar the major cities. And at this point, he sieges Naples. Ooh. And again, it fell quickly. It always does. Now, when the Romans had sieged Naples, they sacked it. When the Goths sieged Naples, they pardoned everyone. No sacking. He was there as a liberator of Italy. (laughs) This goes down very well. Yeah, it would. John, who's still in Italy, held Rome. So they've still got Rome. Okay. He awoke one morning to find leaflets littered the city. They were all from Totila, assuring the people of the city that the Gothic king was on their side. Propaganda war. That's how you win wars, though, isn't it? Yeah, this Totila knows what he's doing, and he's only in his early 20s as well. However, Belisarius was on his way by this point. He didn't have many men with him, though. And those that he did have had, like, limbs hanging off and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's hard to put an army together at this time, but they did what they did. (laughs) They had no armies anyway. um... (laughs) Fighting between the Goths and the Romans went back and forth. Rome changed hands three times during this war. Wow. (laughs) For several years, the armies circled each other. This is more bitter and longer than the last one. Neither side managed to get the upper hand for quite some time. Belisarius writes to Justinian, stating that if the emperor thought that just sending Belisarius to Italy would ensure success, then he was wrong. They needed more men. But they're all dead and plague-ridden. Yeah, it's uh, tricky. Mm. It is. And also, Justinian's dealing with his own problems. Theodora had just died. Oh no! Yeah. Now... The two of them were clearly very close. This was a genuine marriage of love by the looks of things. Mm. Theodora had also shared ruling perhaps more than any other woman in Roman history. She was a hands-on empress. Justinian was devastated and unable to rule for a while. However, in the capital at this time was Belisarius's wife, who was a friend of Theodora, and she saw this as an opportunity to ask for Belisarius to be recalled. 
bring my husband back, please. Things weren't going well in Italy. John was still not following Belisarius' orders, so it was a bit of a mess and everyone was arguing and bickering. So Belisarius and his wife realised that maybe getting out of there now is a good idea, so there's no disgrace when it all goes wrong. Yeah. Justinian agrees. Belisarius is recalled, unable to pacify Italy. However, he needs to be replaced. Justinian spends four years building up an army while the remaining generals in Italy keep the Goths busy. They were not doing well. Eventually, Hmm. they only control four cities, Ravenna being the most important. But they've lost Rome by this point. No Naples. Milan's rubble. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's not looking great for Justinian. However, he finally builds up an army of 35,000 men. He scrimps and he saves. Some of them, like, have all their fingers and toes still and everything. Wow. Rather than sending Balisarius, Justinian chooses Narses to do this one. Narses is now in his 70s, however. Still, why not? You've got 35,000 men, who cares if he's in his 70s? Justinian's well into his 60s, and he's not slowing down, so why that's, can't Narses do this, he thinks? Yes. Yeah, but the, oh, I don't know. The, the difference between 60s and 70s is a lot apparent, according to my grandparents. Well, not according to Narses. Oh. <laughs> no, because the Goths had no answer to Nazis and this influx of men. And 12 years after the start of the Second Italian War, it was finally finished. Totilla dying in battle. Italy is reclaimed. Wow. However, that's not the only fighting going on, because a couple of years earlier, so in the middle of all this fighting, word reaches Justinian from Spain of all places. Spain? Yeah. They've been having a chinwag over there, and some of them were not too happy being under the Visigoth rule. And, well... If Africa's going back in the empire and Italy's going back into the empire, can can we join? Well, Justinian looks around for a spare commander who could go and fight. There was a man named Liberius, who used to be Praetorian prefect for Italy. Apparently he was very good. So he could siphon off some of Narcissus' men and go over to Spain and take it back, Justinian says. Easy as that. Well, someone else looks a bit confused and says, who's this man Liberius? Yeah, he used to be Praetorian Prefect over in Italy. That was 60 years ago. <laughs> yep, <Yeah>, that's him. <laughs> he's in his 80s, sir. <laughs> he can't walk. <laughs> Are you sure he's the best man for the job? Look, his horse has wooden legs. I mean... <laughs> Liberius there, I imagine. No teeth. Zimmer frame. But, oh, he's got a steely look about him. If you have read Terry Pratchett and you've come across Cohen the Barbarian, yeah, yeah. Uh, I imagine he's like that. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Really old, but he's old because he's learnt how not to die. So, yeah. Liberius, Ooh. really old. And also, he doesn't say this, but I'm guessing all his army were octogenarians as well. See, that'd be scarier because they'd be marching <laughs> very slowly, but when they got there, oh, oh yeah. my goodness, you better have some biscuits and a warm blanket. <laughs> Well, to cut a long and potentially slow story short, (laughs) Liberius went over and was successful in taking the south coast of Spain. Wow! Oh, the south coast. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Didn't get all of it, but got the bit that was most Romanised. It was always the south coast of Spain that was the most Romanised. We've recaptured Gibraltar. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Spain, back in the empire. Well, no, no, no. The very tip of south of Spain. Ah, but that was the most important part. Trade. And yeah, yeah, it's the bit med. that's on the yeah. Mediterranean. So th- this wasn't the rubbish part of Spain. That was the most important part. You just got all the wasteland beyond that isn't captured. Yeah. So it was a good part of Spain to a have. A good haul. Oh, yes. But by now, Justinian's getting on. 
He feels like he's done enough in terms of reunifying the Empire physically. He has. And he's getting old, so he turns his mind to religion. Surely the Empire could all agree on being one religion. Surely that's possible, he thinks. <laughs> Sikhism. <laughs> I know it's a bit out there. Um, it doesn't exist yet. All right, but got an idea. Now, again, no time to go through all the ins and outs here of the theology debates that rattle through the empire under Justinian. But again, a brief summing up here. Justinian wanted the entire empire just to be orthodox Christian. Catholic, as they also knew it as. But he was also sympathetic to the Monophysites. Theodora was pretty much a Monophysite, although she didn't shout about it. <laughs> um, so he was sympathetic to the Monophysite views. As I mentioned earlier, he was interested in what those Scythian monks had to say about changing the way the Council of Chalcedon was read in order to let the Monophysites into the Orthodox Church. That opened a door for them. You could reconcile. Yeah. And we also saw that Justin and Justinian worked on reconciling the Pope with the Eastern Emperors. However, things were still not going well. The Orthodox West were suspicious of the Monophysite-leaning East. In yet another attempt at compromise, Justinian decided to condemn parts of the findings of the Council of Chalcedon that were particularly anti-Monophysite, in the hope that that would appease the Monophysites. So they have more moderate yeah. leaning. Now, these were known as the three chapters, and they had to be condemned so the Monophysites would feel more welcome. Yeah. Okay? Makes sense. As per usual, this compromise just upset everyone. <laughs> yeah. Monophysites yeah. didn't feel like it went far enough, and the Orthodox had said, how dare you? Yeah, you can't change the Council of Chalcedon. In particular, uh, the, the Pope wasn't too happy. The Pope, interestingly, was in Constantinople, because Justinian had kidnapped him during the war with the Goths. Yeah. <laughs> Although the Pope didn't complain too much. I mean, it was dangerous over there, so maybe some people would have described it as a rescue. Um, but yeah, either way, the Pope is in Constantinople. And Pope and the Emperor soon fall out over Justinian's attempts to appease the Monophysites. When Justinian released an edict making it clear that three chapters were definitely to be condemned, the Pope refused to do so and excommunicated the Patriarch of Constantinople. Oh. Um, yeah. It's a bit like Henry VIII style. Yeah. Now, we can't go through all the details because it's just too complicated. I'd need about four hours on this to do it <laughs> properly. But this is actually the third time the Pope has excommunicated the Patriarch of Constantinople. There's tension. Let's just okay. say that. <laughs> yeah. Justinian, however, was outraged. And the Pope realised maybe he'd gone too far this time. His safety was in danger, so he flees to a church to seek sanctuary. Wow. However, a squad of Imperial Guards were soon after him. And for whatever reason, the Guards did not care about sanctuary and burst into the church. Oh, Justinian wouldn't like that, would he? Um, I think Justinian's had enough of this Pope yeah. not towing the line. The Pope darts for the high altar, <laughs> attempting to get away while other bishops surrounded him, shouting abuse at the guards. Yeah. How dare you? You brute. <laughs> yeah, things like that. <laughs> a small scuffle took place. No one's seriously injured, but let's face it, a few bishops got punched in the face. <laughs> That's a really funny image. <laughs> Just a hat, like a, uh, now a jaunty angle. One bishop who's been meek all his life. The most timid bishop. <laughs> he's just lost it. Being held back by the other bishops. <laughs> Simon, no! <laughs> Can't think of blue! 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 Safety colour! Safety colour! Well, all that's happening while his holiness was clinging on for his life to the legs of the altar at the, the head of the oh. church. So he's just clinging on to the altar. 
the soldiers are pulling him. This is not me making this up. This is from the source material. Apparently, they are pulling him from his legs and his hair and his beard. <laughs> Ooh. But the Pope is just not letting go. He is clinging on to the leg of the altar. Right, you would if you're desperate to not die, I guess. Yeah, now the altar is actually the thing that gives up first. The leg breaks. The wow. altar smashes down. It's made out of stone inches away from the Pope's head. Oh, I was going to say, oh. <laughs> yeah, everyone just suddenly pauses. And the guys ask, you okay? Yeah, everyone realises that maybe things have gone a bit far. <laughs> bit out of hand. <laughs> One of the guards just goes, I've got a handful of the Pope's beard. This isn't a good look. <laughs> I've got his leg. <laughs> <laughs> the crowd that are obviously gathered by this point, someone at the door of the church screaming, quick, they've grabbed the Pope. Great entertainment, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, everyone's... Yay! <laughs> they got Popey. <laughs> Ten to one chance odds on the, on the Pope surviving. Yeah, great entertainment. Um, but actually, they're not too pleased, understandably. No, no, no. This is the Pope. You can't just be grabbing the Pope like that. This is our, this is our telephone to God. Yeah. Uh, so the guards realise they've gone a bit too far and just withdraw. They leave the Pope. Justinian, however, not happy. He keeps a very close eye on the Pope after that, essentially puts him under house arrest in the palace. Doesn't let him go anywhere. Bad Pope. So one night, the Pope manages to squeeze, and apparently he was quite a large man, so it was impressive he managed this. He manages to <laughs> squeeze out of a really small palace window. <laughs> And escaped across the water to Chalcedon. Remember, Chalcedon's a city just across from Constantinople. Yeah. Also, the image of the thing, that's where the Council of Chalcedon took place, that he is defending. So he goes to Chalcedon. Nice. Yeah. And he starts writing about how the three chapters definitely cannot be condemned. Justinian decides to counter this by calling the Fifth Ecumenical Council. If he could stack the council with his own men, they'd all agree with Justinian. The three chapters would be condemned, it would become doctrine, and the Pope would just be wrong. The Pope, therefore, boycotts the council. Says, no, not valid. I'm the Pope. It's not valid. And he then starts telling all that would listen that the council did not have the right to denounce the findings of the Council of Chalcedon. Justinian does not have the right to do this. But by this time, Justinian had had enough. He's desperately trying to unify the entire empire with one religion. This pope's getting in the way. Also, the war had just been won in Italy. So Justinian was less concerned about how his treatment of the pope from Rome looked. He no longer needed the people in Italy to be on his side so much. That's true. So he has enough. He sends in the troops once more. They arrest the pope and they exile him to an island. Then miraculously, after six months of really hard thinking, the Pope came out and announced that Justinian was right all along. (laughs) The three chapters, now he'd really thought about it, should (laughs) definitely be condemned. Pope, you seem to be missing your your toenail. (laughs) (laughs) Are they burn marks? No, not at all. I agree with the Emperor of my own free will. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A bit like that. Yeah. Popey then dies shortly afterwards. Lost his head. Um, no, apparently he was just ill. He never made it back to Rome. He I'm sort of died on Ill. the way. <laughs> yeah, for some reason he's just not feeling himself. <laughs> it's all the bones broken. <laughs> so, Justinian had, in a way, forged a path <laughs> where, in theory, the Orthodox and the Monophysite movements could start to agree. 
do, do you think that leads to a, a greater outcome, though? Well, that would be moving on to the future. Nah. Um, I think we need to judge where he yeah, gets okay. it to. Yeah, right. uh, we'll deal with where this goes to later on. Anyway, then the Slavs invade. That's not good. They come over the Danube. They brush past the Anastasian walls. Remember the long walls? Yeah. That were always a bit useless. Yeah, they just... Oh, there's a slope there. Let's go back, guys. Okay. Yeah. Really long walls, unmanned, because, let's face it, everyone was dead because of the plague. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and these new barbarians come along. They sack the countryside right outside the capital. More than anything else, this was embarrassing for Justinian. Yeah, he could go back and get Italy, but he can't keep his back garden safe. That's, that's true. That, that's not great. Belisarius was sent for one last time. He goes out, he defeats the invading army, and then the Slavs were paid off. Have this money, stop invading, please. I imagine that's the precursor of the, kind of the Slavic Eastern European... Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Belisarius wins this, retires... And then died shortly afterwards in his 60s. Oh, Yeah. He was awesome. He was awesome. As for the paying off of the Slavs, uh, this is Justinian's policy from now on. He just realises it's a lot cheaper to pay off invasions than that's, raising armies. That's pro- yeah, it will be, wouldn't it? Yeah. And after everything he'd done, they were now broke. He couldn't really afford lots of armies anymore. Um, so play the economic game. Yeah, so let's just pay them off. Now, obviously, the problem with that is if you start paying people off, you will always be paying people off. That's true. We'll invade you unless you... Oh, thank you. Bag <laughs> of gold. <laughs> Try that again next week. Also around this time, a 50-year peace deal was made with the Persians using whatever money that they could scrape together. So they pay the Persians off as well. But Justinian's old by this point. He's always been a bit of a workaholic, and his body eventually gives up. Without warning, on the 14th of November, 565, he has a heart attack and dies. That's on your birthday. No, 14th of November. Oh, yeah, you're February. Yeah. Oh. And there you go, Justinian is dead. That's a shame. Thoughts before we judge? Let's leave it for Genesis R, shall okay, we? Okay, okay. Fightius Maximus. Well, he did nothing. Well, let's go over this, shall we? Yeah, he did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he lost no grounds to the Persians. True. A formidable enemy at this point. Two wars are fought, and he doesn't lose anything to them. He reclaimed Africa. He reclaimed Italy, and he reclaims a good portion of Spain. The, the Mediterranean, essentially. Yes. The Roman Empire is now a true Mediterranean empire once more. He has gained more territory than any other emperor but Augustus, Trajan, and Aurelian. That is some pretty impressive Phytius Maximus. Bad. He didn't do any of it. <laughs> it was all Belisarius. Yeah. However... It's in his name, because we scored Augustus relatively highly, because it was in his name, so... Yeah, he's yeah. always done it in the emperor's name. It's done in the emperor's name. And emperors, I mean, even if they're near the battles, they're not actually in the battles. Trajan was not at the front of the army screaming with sword in hand. No, of course not. No. Was Justinian actually in any battle? No, because he was still in Constantinople. He wasn't anywhere near the fighting. Like, no. Like he was literally a, a continent away. Yeah, well, not literally, because technically it's on the same way. They wouldn't have seen it that way. I definitely think at this stage uh, we need to accept the fact that Justinian is commanding those armies, telling them what to do. This isn't Belisarius going off and doing whatever he wants and Justinian claiming the credit. This is Justinian deciding where Belisarius goes using his troops. So he's having the tactical decisions, he's making those important, but he's not doing it in the... Yeah, but overall, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm with you. I 
I, I don't want to give him 10. I can't give him 10 because he doesn't. he's never in a battle. But I can't score him low no. because he manages to get back a huge portion of the Empire. Due to what he... Due to the, cause he yeah, but he also needs to put the right people in the right place. Exactly. We have to consider that. Yeah, that's very impressive. I think a 7 or an 8 is very fair. I'm leaning towards an 8. I'm going to go for an 8 as well. Okay. Yeah. He needs to get into a battle to score those next two points. I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. He needs to at least even hold a sword. <laughs> and he just rules from the start. He does a couple of little things. Unfortunately, it's there's so much detail because Procopius yeah. is there. Um, this is the first time in a very long time that I've had to leave quite a lot out. This is a whitewashing of an episode, isn't it, in a way? Yeah, I really struggled to fit everything in. So there, there are some little bits, but this is the bigger picture here. I, I'm happy with that eight. Yeah. I can't give him higher than an eight because he, he wasn't no. a fighter himself, but he led an empire that did fight. Yes, he did. So yeah, so 16. 16. Well done. Crozium Um There wasn't much here. However, he did order the killing of 30,000 of his own people in the Hippodrome. <laughs> that's almost Caracalla levels of <laughs> killing there. Yeah, that, that's quite a biggie. But then, was that it, that wasn't him being mad. In fact, he tried to avoid doing it for quite some time. But it was a program. <laughs> it certainly was that. It certainly upset people. Um, yeah, I think the fact that he ordered a massacre of his own people in his own capital... Mm. They were rioting against him, but still, it's not great. He's getting points for that. Oh, yeah, he's got to get points for that. Yeah. It was a bit nasty to the Pope. He bullied the Pope. He, he was he was mean. The Pope should have gone and told an adult straight away. <laughs> I need an adult. So that's a bit bit off. Um, there were riots throughout his reign due to his very heavy taxing. He's, yeah, but that, again, that he did tax for a reason. The rioting, that was... That was a that was a hereditary problem. Well, and he solved it. To be fair, you remember when everyone was literally dying, lying on the floor, mm. pus oozing out of them. Mm. Uh, he didn't stop the taxes, but you could argue the reason why is because he would have lowered them, but there was less people to pay, so he had to keep them raised. Well, yeah, because he needs to keep the the empire functioning. That's again mm, that's bigger true. picture. It is estimated that at the end of his reign, uh, there were as many people in his empire as there were in Anastasius's reign. But he had also conquered Africa, Italy, and Spain. But he'd gained no people, because so many people had died. That's a bit sucky. Yeah, the plague is just a game-changer, as we will mm. see as we go on. I mean, he's not crazy. He's very sensible. He works very hard. He program level. I'm going to give him uh, two or three for ordering a massacre with his own people. Oh, I was thinking higher than that. Well, yeah. 30,000. That's a stadium of people. I'm thinking four, at least. In my head, I was thinking four or something. And for the Pope as well. I give him three for killing 30,000 people. I give him one for pulling the Pope's beard. Oh, you're matching me? Yeah. <laughs> he didn't that. He didn't it himself, though. He ordered it, though. Yeah. <laughs> Make sure you pull his beard. <laughs> I want his beard on a silver platter. <laughs> okay, so that's eight for a Probium Crazy on the next. Successes Ultimus. Okay, this this might be his round. I don't know. He made the tax laws more fair. Yeah. His code books are beyond influential. They shape the way our laws work in the Western world. Um, that was huge. 
the, even now i guess we're still feeling it oh yeah definitely yeah the uh, the hagia sophia uh, largest church for a thousand years stood as a symbol for roman power for centuries he created a symbol that was an impressive building still is an impressive building it is looks beautiful yeah during the worst ever outbreak of plague up until this point in history he not only kept the empire intact but he actually expanded it that's a good point that's just insane that he managed that this plague should have wiped people out but i guess if you're army fighting another country they're probably not going to be affected by it. it's when they come back that they're screwed yeah possibly it's like stay where you are keep fighting <laughs> yes. you're probably more likely to live he, albeit in somewhat aggressive way, paved way for a potential unification of the church. <laughs> yeah, he, he he sort of he had a he had a way of unifying it. Yeah, not the most moral. He saw the Pope as an obstacle, so just got him out of the way. <laughs> um, generally, to sum up, I think you could definitely argue if you took the plague out, which is obviously not his fault, the empire and the people living in the empire were just in a better position than they were at the start. Because of the plague, perhaps they weren't, but that's not really his fault. And he did some amazing stuff. Uh, bad, though. The Empire was rich when he came into power. Yeah. Anastasius had done a very good job. It was broke when he died. He'd, he'd spent all their savings. I imagine that's going to hurt in the future. Like, I don't know, but I'm guessing like that Empire is going to very quickly disappear because they haven't got the money to keep running it. Possibly. And linking to that, the people of Italy. They're back in the Empire, yay! <laughs> it's almost two decades of fighting took place on the Italian peninsula. Yeah. The place was ripped to shreds. It doesn't really recover for a thousand years. It takes till the Renaissance before the Italian peninsula really That's recovers. Crazy, it? The fact that this the Roman Empire diminishes when Leonardo da Vinci was around. Yeah. That's yeah. insane to think, isn't it? Yeah, so... Um, I, that is a huge oversimplification, obviously. There yeah, are different yeah. factors, but, I mean, you, you, the war in Italy wasn't good. Yes, you can colour a bit of the map in red or purple, whatever you want to colour it. Uh, but Blue? Yeah, blue if you want. Go crazy. Um, but was it really good? Did they need Italy back? Was it worth it? Was it worth it? What was the point? What do they get from this? Well, what does he say he gets from this? At this time, when he's emperor, what do they get from this? They are reunifying the empire. But and what do they, they get from this? Is all... it just a, a a spiritual pride, or like a country pride, or is it a... What is it? He truly believes that if the whole world is the Roman Empire, everyone will be happier. One empire, one god, one emperor. Oh, gone full circle. Oh, yes. That's what he believes in. So he wants everywhere to be Rome. Of course, it, He's... they always did. <laughs> well, not everyone. I mean, Trajan was an expansionist. Hadrian wasn't. Mm. Augustus said, no, let's stop. But it would depend on, on the timing, though. It's like, if you're in a pretty precarious position and your empire's not that strong, you're not going to be an expansionist. You'd be insane to do that. If, if you've got a really strong army, they're trained up, they're, you're secure, all your home grounds are fine, you can do that. So what you're saying is, after the outbreak of the worst ever recorded plague, perhaps not the time to go invading? I would say so, for for relatively nothing. Yeah. Uh, see, the thing is, we are biased by what we know happens. 
I, I'm not. Well, you know the big brush strokes. You know that the Roman Empire doesn't get back to its original size. No. And if it had done and just continued and we were still in that Roman Empire today, we would look back at this and go, brilliant, Justinian, you brought it all back together. True. But we know that ultimately that doesn't happen, so we are biased into thinking, well, that was a waste of time because it was inevitably going to fail anyway. Well, they didn't know that back then. So, But, but what was the point of doing it to start with? What was the point in any Roman expansion? Uh, fair point. <laughs> you know I'm, just, I'm just trying to find reasons. <laughs> you know what? Right. You know what? He's very successful. I think that discussion got actually quite serious for a while. I know, yeah. yeah no, right. I, I enjoyed it. It's weird. Let's, uh, let's dial back from that. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Jeff! Scores. <laughs> scores. Um, I think he needs high. It needs to be very high. I'm just deciding whether to give him 9 or 10, personally. Really? The Law Code book. The Hagia Sophia. The Getting Back of Lost Empire. Mm. All of them huge. So I was thinking 8, but I'm thinking, you know, the whole rich to poor thing. Well, the reason for that is war against Persia. That's going to cripple you. Yeah. It's such a massive army to fight against. And you've got to defend yourself, because otherwise they'd take you over. So I get that. Um, Did he need to invade Italy? He didn't need to. He did it because he wanted to. Because he wanted the glory of the Empire again. Which is what everyone, all the I guess so. Did. He's an idealist. Um, okay, I'd happily give him a nine. Also, forgot to mention this. He was born on a farm. That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, he would be mucking out the pigs when he was a child. That's a really good point. I can't give him the full ten, though. Why not? Because of what he did to Italy. Mm. For me, because he, he made the empire poor because of it. Yeah, yeah, I understand the reasons why, and I get that. But for for the, the for being a successful empire, that doesn't help. So I agree. Yeah, it no. wasn't perfect. It was very very good, and I'm very impressed. But it's not perfect. That no, is I get that. 18 for success as Ultimus. Boom. Image of Right. Well, you know this one. You know what he looks like. It's a very famous. It's a very thing. famous picture. You've got a picture of it on the front yeah. of your notepad, which you've stuck there. That's very nice as well. Yeah. Now, because this is either a painting that's heavily pixelated, <laughs> yeah. Windows 3.1, or it's a, a mosaic. It's um. It's actually quite recent. It's just retro pixel art. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's the obvious mosaic of him, which is very famous. Actually, in Ravenna, that mosaic was made. Oh, really? Yeah. Lake Town. Yeah, during all the fighting, someone was sucking up to him and made a big mosaic about him. He's mm. yeah. got, got quite a big double chin. Yeah. Big eyes, massive eyebrows, big black curly hair. Well, no, big, uh, th- it looks like thick hair. In fact, his crown is far wider than his head. It's resting it's on his big hair. It's an impressive crown, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's nice and colourful as well. Do you want to see his coin? Yeah. Yeah, different view of him. Yeah, That's what his coin looks like. Oh. And you know what? I quite like that coin. He looks young it was and really happy. determined and happy. He's got a nice smile. Yeah. If we were stuck on coins, I think he'd be scoring relatively highly. I think so. Yeah. I, it looks a lot like a bit of a child's in it, but... Yeah, and on the reverse, a dancing angel. No, 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 no. Look no. at that picture again. Look at the face again. That's a dancing clown with wings. That is a dancing clown. That is clearly Look at the nose. a nose of a clown. <laughs> so a dance, dancing clown with wings on the reverse, holding a spare set of keys. A few stars. They've got yeah. the Christian cross. It's important. Yeah. And then his head, uh, a nice, happy, young-looking... I'm impressed with that coin, but not only that... We've got a mosaic. We've never had one before. No, that's, this is the first mosaic we have. And it, is, it is beautiful. Yeah. And it's iconic. It's iconic. Even I knew who that was. I'm going four marks for this. I might go to nine. <laughs> Fair enough. 
because he doesn't it well, mate, i don't know See, he doesn't it's not impressive it's just iconic it's recognizable i think it's, it's just new and Does interesting it, Got a mosaic, so yeah, maybe he doesn't deserve the full tail. I do like the coin, though. It's a good coin. No, I'm sticking with my ten. I'm doing it. I'm, I'm going to give him a nine. Okay. Sorry, I'm going to take him off. That is a 4.75 for image Ophacious. Temple And finally, how long's he last? I imagine a while, because it's like the sea took like X amount of years, like 12 years and stuff. So I'm guessing within the 30s. I think it was a, a shockingly long time. You've got it. It is from 5 to 7 to 565 38 years oh wow didn't think that long that puts him third behind Theodosius II and Augustus wow that's pretty good good genes which in this round also gives him a score of 4.75 so now we find out his total score before we do that just to remind you our top ever scorer is Aurelian on 52.13 it was close my adding wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, your adding wasn't. But when we double checked it on the calculator, he's in the 50s club. Oh my goodness. He is on 51.50. Oh my goodness. That puts him behind Aurelian, but does he beat Constantine the Great? Ooh. Constantine the Great scored 51.88. Oh. So close, Justinian. Well deserved in the 50s club. Yeah. That is a, a mighty score. That is a mighty score. He's not quite quite there, but that is not third quite. overall. Yeah. That's the first time in our second series anyone has come close to getting no. up there with the earlier ones. That's that's good. Doesn't happen very often. No, it doesn't. No. Prestigious club. Very prestigious club. But there's one more question. And this time I think the question is: did he do enough for you to decide to give it to him? <laughs> Let's find out. Do they have a certain genesis? Come on, what do you he's, think? Um, well, he's put the empire back together. How can you not give it to him? <laughs> it's paining you to say this. You were determined not to give it to him, weren't you? Well, everyone just kept, oh, he's so amazing. He's so brilliant. He did nothing. <laughs> His general did it all. I know that. You know that as well. Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah, he's quite clever with a few books, but he, did, he didn't sort the books out himself, did he? No. You go and sort this out. I'm just going to sleep with my concubine. That was his life. <laughs> he was good at delegating. So he gets a Genesis R for delegating. <laughs> is that you giving it to him, is it? I'm giving it to him, yes. So that is a yes from you. Yeah. No, no, no. He, in, in, in getting rid of my bitterness. Um, no, he, he's earned it. I mean... How can he not? Yeah, it's, it's very obvious that as Jeanne Caesar for yeah. Justinian. Yeah, the question is, will we see the likes of him again? There's a good question. Find out next time. Oh. Or, well, like in a few episodes' time. Yeah. Uh, small spoiler warning, it's not next time. Because uh, Justin 2 is not getting there. But <laughs> I don't know, maybe he will. Maybe he will. Oh, we'll, no. we'll find out. But before we go, I know what you're all worried about. So, you're in Egypt. Yes. On the docks of Alexandria. No. Dr. Tony has just fallen yeah. to his knees. He sees a canoe. He jumps in it. He paddles, he paddles, he paddles. He catches up with the boat. He gets on the boat. He's trying to turn the boat round so it doesn't reach Constantinople. The plague won't yeah. break out. But the sail snaps. The, on the boat? Yeah. So the boat just drifts into the capital. He tried to save everyone. He didn't quite. But 
His children are on the boat, and Dr. Tony looks after his children. They both live. Oh! They start a new life in Constantinople. Dr. Tony and his son, little Tony, and his daughter, Antonia. Oh, yeah. that's nice. Yeah, little Tony and Antonia both become doctors as well. Oh, that's good. Yeah, in later life. Oh. Dedicate their lives to uh, helping people with the plague. That's nice. So we've ended on a nice night. Oh, I like that. Yeah. But actually, that didn't happen. They were like, what? The dad drowned on the way to the boat and the two children were sold into slavery as soon as they reached the capital. They died within three years. Oh my God. Yeah, it was horrible. So thanks very much for listening to this long episode. I figure if you've listened to the first 90 episodes of us, um, you don't mind listening to an extra long episode. No. Um, yeah. A couple of shout-outs. Yeah, we'd like to thank the Rex Factor because we, you know, we, we, we asked them when we first started Could We Use Your Format and they very kindly said yes. So it's thanks to them that we're, we're doing this. Um, and we consider ourselves part of the Rex Factor family. Yeah, I don't know if they consider that, but we're like... No, they try... And, we're, we're the black sheep they, of the family. They try and distance themselves as much as possible. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and rightly so. But there is a new member to the family as well. Oh, yes, yes. If you are interested in hearing about Popey, who had his beard pulled, but you're thinking, Rob, can you not give us the name of this Pope? Why are you just calling him Popey? A bit more detail would be good. I yeah. tuned into a history podcast to get detail. You're glossing over this. I want to know more about popes, damn it. Well, you're in luck. Because there is a new podcast starting very shortly. Yes. The Fools have decided to rank every single pope. Theirs will be twice as long as ours. Yeah, they would be. And that's including both seasons. Wow. Yeah, there's okay. there's something like 300 popes or something. It's insane. Wow. Yeah, I'm guessing they got through them quite quickly yeah. at some point. So that's uh, the Pontifacts podcast. Yes, yeah, good pun. I like yeah, it. Yeah, I like this. Yeah. Okay. See, they, they kept working until they got a good pun and like us. Yeah. <laughs> that's just us ranking. We use real Latin in ours. We so did. I mean, it's educational. We win. Yeah. So check out Pontifacts. That will be coming to you soon. And also, check out Saga Thing as well, because I, I think they're part of the family in a way, because uh, they were inspired by Rex Factor. Yeah, oh, well, that's true. We're, we're all like Rex Factor's... Illegitimate children. Yes, that's what we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, OK, so check all of those out. Contact us on Twitter and Facebook and come and shout at us for not giving enough points to Justinian or giving him too much. I imagine we've polarised a lot of people today. Nah. Strong feelings on Justinian. Yeah. Yeah, so, all we need to do just before the end, because we forgot to do it earlier, is... Well done, Justinian. You have Gene César. Glad to see you. Uh, let me just dust off the floor and get rid of this dangerous dust. Ready for inspection, sir? Yes, well, the Emperor's coming round later today. It needs to be in tip-top shape. He wants no mishaps. Of course, of course. No, got to make sure the entire area is safe. Don't worry, I'm not here to criticise. I'm not an architect. I'm just here to judge you. Oh, OK. Um, yes. Well, let's walk into the main vestry. My, it's very big, isn't it? It's massive. Very impressive. So how many died building this? Well, thir- um, none. None at all. No humans died making this. 
What about that one over there? Oh, no, he's having a nap. He's, he's on a break. We give regular breaks to our staff. Every four hours, they're allowed a 15-minute break. That's, that's wonderful, but he's got a brick half embedded into his skull. That's a pillow. Just just get rid of it. I don't mind a few deaths. Obviously, okay. some are going to die. <laughs> it's not like a thousand or something. Oh, you wanted less than a thousand. Okay, yes. I must say, it is very impressive. It's very impressive. Look, uh, look at the dome. Uh, look I, how beautiful it is. It's, it's amazing. And the, the mosaic. I see you've gone for the style up there. You've mirrored down here. Yes, uh... Actually, no, they, these are loose. These are actually tiles from the roof on the floor inside. Is this going to be a problem? No. Um, we have a notice outside that all, all workers must wear a hard hat before they enter the building in case of loose tiles. Get rid of the body, Joseph! Get rid of the body! The hard hats might be all right for the, the workers, but the, the patriarch's going to be stood right in the middle, delivering his service. What about him? Don't worry, he's made his hard pontifex hat out of Roman concrete. I suppose, in a way, it's a solution. Right, OK, but you can guarantee that dome is safe. At least last for two years. At least. What about that crack? Two years. Guarantee. And that one is literally developing as I speak. Yes, no, it's just reached the first crack I mentioned. And now there's dust in my eye. Oh, dear. Um, Look, will it get to the end of the service? Will it get to the end of the opening ceremony? To be honest, that's all I care about. I can guarantee it on my life. <sighs> fine. As long as the emperor comes in, sees it happy, we all go home tonight. Good. I'm fine. Yeah, I, I must admit, it's very impressive. Well, what do you think? It, it's... It's a sight to behold. I really love these curved walls. They're very modern. What? The walls are curving? Derek! Derek! Give us support, donkeys! The walls are bending again! They recently discovered the tower's not actually leaning. It's just the ground underneath it's on a hill. <laughs> Honestly, I'm for like half a second. I'm going, really? <laughs> Sorry, I'm an idiot. <laughs> 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 like it, like. Oh, when I got to. Oh, down there.